On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're heading to court with Chris Evans and his amazing beard in Apple's Defending Jacob, raising hell on the streets with Gareth Evans' Gangs of London, exploring the ups and downs of young love in the BBC's adaptation of Sally Rooney's hit novel Normal People, and catching up with Ricky Gervais for the second season of his Netflix comedy Afterlife. And if that's not enough, Ricky himself stopped by to talk to his old pal Boyd about the show in a mammoth near feature-length interview that I just didn't have the heart to cut down. So you can hear those two chat away for 40-odd minutes at the very end of this week's show. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that, in keeping with the current Me at 20 hashtag, has taken a long look back through the archives and taken a snapshot of this very podcast at 20, where, it turns out, we reviewed Night Flyers, Pure, Russian Doll, Camping, and Mayans MC. Busy week, that one. However, we didn't just stop there. And rather unexpectedly, <laughs> myself, Boyd and Terry were involved in an impromptu youth-off on Twitter last night. And I have to say, Boyd, seeing you with hair gladdened my very soul. Same. Same with you. Your hair was lush. My, my hair was long. It can be said. It was... It, it was. I've been accused of looking like the fourth member of Hanson, which I think is probably fair comment. I mean, so, yeah. You were that hot. That entirely accurate. Kurt, also, <laughs> Curtis Steiger's... Also, Chesney Hawks. Some, <laughs> Chesney. Oh, God. Somebody said River Phoenix, which I thought was incredibly generous. I'll take generous. it. Um, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, you, you were like, you were, you were a hottie, James. Yeah. It was a long time ago, Terry. What can I tell you? I've since become <laughs> haggard. It's like, you know, like, the, you know, like Sheev Palpatine when you meet him in The Phantom Menace versus when you see him at the end of Rise of Skywalker. It's kind of that, that kind of arc, I think. I used, I used get, to enjoy um, having long hair. Did you get the ladies? Did I get a, to be? If I'm brutally honest with you, my love life has consistently been a car crash. So no, <laughs> I can't few, say it was that successful. I thought I thought Terry meant. Did you have a few ladies complimenting you last night when you put the picture up? Because I saw a few very very excited in your people family. Were very kind. I think it was very. People exciting. were very kind about about my my hirsute look uh, back back in the day. But it was funny. It was funny seeing everyone like Terry. Terry, I was saying, you know, your your picture of you at your graduation. You were you know youthful and full of joie de vivre. No, no way. Actually, you were looking mardy and pissed off, in fact, was what you were looking. So actually not that much has changed. What was going on there? Was This was your graduation. And you were that was my... So there's barely any pictures of me um, before the age of about 30. And there are certainly no pictures of me at 20. So the best I could do is a screen grab of me at my graduation ceremony, where, as you rightly say, for some reason, I look fucking furious and... <laughs> And bored. I think I was probably thinking, this is utter bollocks because some man in a funny hat and a big cloak was banging on about something. Um, and yeah, my face hasn't changed at all um, in that I I did look a bit like I look when I'm pissed off with you, James. Well, we I also you, noticed that with the, as many people pointed out, we look a little bit like the same person, which is a look, bit troubling. We look like brother and sister, <laughs> yeah. I swear to God. I was like, oh my did God. You, did you have someone giving a big speech, like a famous person doing that? No, like the, like the no. chancellor or whatever he's called of the yeah. university gave a big speech, um, uh, which I had... didn't remember, only because the video of my graduation exists on YouTube. Um, that is incredible. I know. So it's there forever for the rest of my life. Um, and I looked at it and I can't remember anything from my graduation ceremony or being as bored as I apparently was. We had Harold Pinter. Was Did our, you? Um, yeah, yeah, and the incredible thing—I mean, he was—I I loved, I loved him anyway. And um, but the the vice chancellor, whoever introduced him, called him Harold Pinter. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was a red dwarf fan. 
<laughs> Maybe. Oh, yeah. God. From the episode Maroon. Who did you have, James? Did you have a celebrity? Oh, Christ, I don't uh, believe we had a celebrity ours. Uh, no. I, I, did you know what? I'm not 100%. No, I did go. I did go. <laughs> Wouldn't be beyond me not to go, but I did go because I remember wearing the gown. But no, I have no recollection of really what happened. Absolutely none whatsoever. Uh, I don't believe it was particularly exciting. But boy, t- tell us more about your picture. So your picture, in your where you're looking young and hairy and chiselled, uh, you have a backpack <clears> on. Were you backpacking? Were you on a, were you, were you yes. on a, like a student gap year? Or what were yes. you doing? I, I, I backpacked around Europe with um, uh, on Interrail. You know, Interrail. With, you were about to say with, with who? With, with, with which celebrity did you with backpack friends. around no, no. Europe? <laughs> I didn't have celebrity friends when I was 20. <laughs> Um, I went with Doug Martin and Richard, who I still we're still in touch. We still have a WhatsApp group, and um, yeah, we interrailed round Europe and with our huge backpacks, and we like roughed it and stayed in terrible um, uh, camping places and stuff like that. Yeah, and I think that was, and I was wearing my Elvis Costello King of America T-shirt, um, which I was very proud of. I was a best, massive Elvis Costello nerd and still am. So yeah, that was, and it was absolutely twenty years old, exactly twenty years old. I was. That's amazing. I think mine was. Mm. I want. I'm either eighteen or nineteen. It was because oh. it was. I don't. I was very photo averse when I was a teenager. I wouldn't let people take pictures of me. Also, you know, full smartphones. You had to, you know, get your film. You got to your big bulky Pentax camera. You had to take the picture. You had to oh, go yeah. and get the fucker developed. Yeah. Like it was a whole operation. So I guess yeah. that didn't happen quite as much back then. But um, but there are a few pictures, and I just yeah, I just I was like, oh, I should find a picture, and I managed to find my young person's trail card. Um, which and this is absolutely true. A Mardi ticket inspector cut the card in half, even the photo card, because I once tried to buy a ticket with it after it had expired, and he caught me. <laughs> James, you rebel! So I know. The, yeah. the vital, the vital question that I think everybody on Twitter wants to know is: How old were you when you lost those luscious locks? Oh, that's a good question. I cut my hair, not like shaved it. I cut it shorter, so I had a sensible, as one would say, short haircut when I was. In my gap year, so just before I went to university the second time. <laughs> so I went to university first time, dropped out, took gap year, and then went second time. So I had short hair when I went back to university, but it was short, not like shaved. I shaved my hair just after university. I think like maybe, it might have been the year after. Uh, and yeah, and th- that was it. I haven't had hair since then. It's been it's been gone. I've been shaven-headed for decades now. I, I quite like it. There's, it's like, you know, to deliberately misquote Austin Powers. There's nothing quite like a Sean Cranium. It is breathtaking. Oh, my Um, God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I almost, I tried to convince my family and friends to let me shave my head this week. Please shave your head. Please shave your head. Please shave your head. But to your point, I think I've got lockdown madness. And I was no, like, you'd go full Britney in what was it, 2006 or something? <laughs> 2000, mm. No, I think it's two, two, 2009. What was that? Um, I only know that because I was reading a, a long-form piece about the downfall of Britney Spears last night um, when I was breastfeeding. Do you know, I, I must have made a documentary for Sky about trying to find Britney Spears. What do you mean trying to find her? Seriously. You stalked really? Britney Spears? I, 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 I presented a documentary for Sky One after that, a few years later than that, tra- tracing, it was about the paparazzi's role in her life. And we went to the place where that, that haircut incident happened in LA. And I went all around LA um, interviewing people who were kind of loosely connected to her. And then we actually waited outside that dance studio where she went. And I had to go up to her and say hello. And, and I did. And uh, it was, inc- yeah. So I did this. That's it was excruciating. excruciating. <laughs> that was on excruciating. Yeah. Yeah. I it was terrifying. Britney Spears having not slept for two days. That was that was my experience with Britney. You interviewed Britney Spears? Yeah, for Crossroads. Because, oh. Uh, oh my god! But we, it was the day after the Oscars, and I'd been up all night covering the Oscars, and I'd had so much caffeine, I was buzzing and couldn't sleep. So instead of 
going to sleep. I just got up, got on the train, came back into town and interviewed Britney Spears. <laughs> Hashtag professionalism. Amazing. Right. Should we start the podcast? Oh, yeah. I, I yeah. should probably mention that to oh. immortalise our respective embarrassment, I have put all three of these pictures up on the Pilot TV Instagram feed. So you can feast your eyes on the youthful James Terry and Boyd there if you so choose and decide whether Terry looks like she wants to murder someone or indeed possibly did murder someone, whether... <laughs> Boyd's Boyd's <laughs> Costello look is is fitting, and whether indeed I look like who was it, Terry Chesney Hawks? Che- well, Chesney Hawks, but Curtis Steigers, I think, is actually more accurate. Mm. All right, I do look slightly malnourished. I have very very acute cheekbones in that picture. Strong but cheekbones. Strong yeah. strong cheekbone action. But uh, shall we move on now to what we have been watching during this past seven day, Terry? So. We talked about it last week, um, but I watched the finale. Well, actually, the last two episodes of The Nest, which was on over Easter weekend. So I think, Boyd, actually, you'd already seen episodes three and four, right? Which aired over Mm. Easter when we talked about this last week. I had forced myself to watch it episodically on BBC One, even though we had access to the episodes in advance in a great show of uh, restraint And I wanted to watch them on the actual telly because I've really enjoyed actually tuning into something at a certain time on a certain day every week. And I have to say, without any spoilers, because if you haven't seen this, it is all currently on iPlayer. I thought the final episode in particular was an absolute triumph. Um, And we touched on this last week, which is this started out as kind of a typical thriller and then became something else entirely. The twist you thought was the entire story wasn't. It was kind of a transition to a much more emotional story. Wasn't what I think I expected or most people would expect from kind of seeing bits and bobs of this. And it shouldn't really be a surprise because this is um, by Nicole Taylor, who was the writer and creator of Three Girls. And actually, weirdly, it deals with a lot of the same issues around class and exploitation and things like that, even though it's totally different in so many ways. So I loved it. I thought it was amazing. All on iPlayer right now, if you didn't watch it. I also watched the rest of Quiz um, after our chat about it last week. And... Boyd, I totally see what you were saying about the kind of three parts and how distinct they are. I have to say, I thought episode two was brilliant, which was the one focusing on the actual filming of the episode and the cheating and all of that. I thought that was done really well. I thought the the third episode, which focused on the court case, was not as compelling. It had some lovely moments and a f- fucking deranged song and dance number that I will <laughs> never get over as long as I live. My feeling about, about Quiz and it's, been really well received from what I've seen is it could have just been a single 90 minute episode rather than this three-part thing is is my feeling but I I kind of enjoyed it I enjoyed the fact that it was an event and everyone got excited by it and then the last thing I've been watching is I re-watched all of Feel Good and um, May Martin kind of suggested on Twitter the other day that even if people had binged it um, they should watch the live episode with her because it's it's screening episodically on channel four um every Wednesday night so I decided to re-watch the entire thing to intersect with that live episode at 10 o'clock on Friday night of episode five. And I loved it even more the second time. And I have to say what I loved most the second time and what struck me, we talked about how funny it was when we reviewed it on this podcast, but actually the emotion in it, there's an, you know, there's a 
beautiful scene with a strap on that I just don't think you can say happens on telly every day. Um, and I think I really appreciate the heart of this show, watching it the second time. The finale is on um, Channel 4 this Wednesday night at 10 o'clock. If you haven't, um, if you are watching it episodically, if you haven't seen any of them, they're all on more for at the moment. So I'm basically just watching telly 24 hours a day right That's now. very handy for this podcast. Yes. Regarding that strap-on scene, um, mm. so I interviewed Mae Martin um, before the series went out and, and I said, and I asked her, having seen, I'd seen the whole thing by then and I said to her, you know, were there any particular scenes that were, you found difficult to film? I was thinking of that scene because she's, she's yeah. naked in that scene. She And um, I said, you know, she's bound to say that and she said, that scene, she started talking about that scene but not for being naked or using the strap-on because she had to try on a dress. You know, she tries on a dress yeah, yeah. first At in that first. scene. And she said that was the most difficult thing for her to do because she hasn't worn a dress for like 20 years. Oh my God. <laughs> and I was like, okay, brilliant, amazing. But I That's love that. that. Yeah, feel good. I think it's getting a real um, head of steam like in terms of people latching onto it and catching up with it. And it is, it, 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 I think it, but at the end of the year, it will definitely be one of my favourite things. It's such a brilliantly judged, um, it's a romantic comedy, isn't it? It's, such, yeah. it's so brilliantly judged. It's like the, it's like the, the peak of romantic comedies, yeah. Mm. Um, but I've been watching, I'm going to quote Sarah Phelps. It's astonishing. It's got a seductive, terrifying, narcotic quality. And the soundscape sounds like physics and memory, like the brain okay. cooling round itself. I mean, I first exactly of all, fucking Sarah Phelps, a genius. And she's talking about devs, obviously. Um, and I, so I finished it um, the other night. I finished the final episode. There are eight episodes. It's all on iPlayer. And um, even more than last week, I now it's now one of my favourite things. I think it's absolutely spectacular. The ending, the last episode is incredibly satisfying. Mind-boggling. I mean, it's, every episode is mind-boggling. Every twist and turn the story takes is just like what is, you're trying to kind of you know, I have to rewind it all the time to t- to check what's going on. Um, but I just think it's so brilliantly done. And one of the joys of Twitter was, so Sarah Phelps was talking about Twitter and then the VFX guy um, kind of joined in saying, you know, because she was saying, should I binge it? And he was saying, maybe it's better not to binge it because it's a lot to take in and you have to think about it after each episode, which I agree with. But I think you can watch two or three at a time. And then Dr. Adam Rutherford, who's one of the scientific advisors on the show, he he, he joined in. And I was like, oh, this is incredible. These people who worked on the show and know and are incredibly proud of how extraordinary it is. Because even if you don't like the the atmosphere and the tone of it and the slow burn of it. Visually, I mean, it just gets... The last episode, every single fucking shot is like a work of art. It is so incredible. So, um, yeah, Devs just just gets better and better in my mind. And I want to mention one more thing. In, in the ongoing series of... Um, Things on Netflix that just pop up without them telling us about, telling them about, telling us about them. There's a show that arrived yesterday called Outer Banks, and it is a um, teen drama, and it's basically the OC meets Dawson's Creek. Um, it's about Sold. this actual place called, yeah, set in this kind of North Carolina coastal town, small town, and it's about this group of teenagers. Um, the dudes who literally never wear a top, never put a top on any ever. And it's just beautiful people investigating a mystery. It's kind of like very quite vanilla and bland, but it's also like every every shot is bathed in a golden glow. And it's kind of like they've taken the recipe of the OC of Dawson's Creek. It hasn't got the wit of those shows at all, but it's just one. Of, I just like started watching. I was thinking the reason why they haven't told anyone about this show, even though on any other channel, it would be like a huge, you know, huge effort to kind of publicize it and everything is because they know people are going to fucking lap it up because it's just like 
classic textbook teen teen drama and it's already in like their top 10 you know most watched shows even though they, as i say completely un, I, I hadn't heard of it at all no one had heard of it until it arrived yesterday um yeah check it out out of banks i mean it's pretty shit basically but it, in a funny <laughs> way <laughs> i've been to the outer banks have you amazing yes so it, it's tiny i think it's like a mile wide and nine right. miles long or something yeah. it's this tiny little strip of land um just off north carolina yeah. um i when i was 19 um i did bunac which was the work exchange oh, yeah. program <laughs> yeah um and the only thing left i obviously was like i want to go and work in some fancy magazine in new york what i actually did was i went to work in a fudge shop um in north <laughs> carolina making fudge for overweight american people um and uh, I was there for a few weeks and I had to come home early because um, we had a car accident and I lacerated oh my spleen and was airlifted oh to hospital. I've never told you this story. I was airlifted to hospital and um, uh, and then was flown home. But I can testify that the Outer Banks is a very pretty, lovely, weird little town. And the There's more good. drama... And there's more drama and jeopardy in your story than there is in the 10 episodes of Outer Banks. I think you'll probably find. And that is an incredible story. Can I just say the main star in it is is a guy called, get this name, this is the best name of an actor ever, Chase Stokes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Chase Stokes Outer in Outer yep. Banks. Outer Banks. Sounds very good. Um, so I did it. Yep. I've been savouring this. For a long time, but I finally sat down and I watched the two and a half hour extended three part daybreak finale of Battlestar Galactica. And let me tell you, it was fucking magnificent. So I really like this final episode. It is one of the most divisive TV finales in history. And I kind of understand why. So the first half of it is amazing and it's full of action. The second half of it ties up most, if not all, of the various threads, but does it in a way that a lot of fans didn't like. George R. R. Martin famously went on the internet after this aired and went fucking berserk and wrote this screed against the writing of the final episode. Um, and Because it does end with a literal deus ex machina, which is something you don't see that often. So it's an odd one. And I remember I spoke to Jamie Bamber about this. He came to the Empire Awards one year and it was just after this had aired and I had a chat with him about it. And he was like, you know, I think they kind of, they knew, they knew that it was going to polarise people. But I think, and Rondi Moore, I've spoken to him about this as well. He said uh, he's, 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 not surprised it was divisive, incredibly surprised by how divisive it was. That some people just hate it and it ruined the show for them and others really like it. But th there's, a, there's a lot going on in it. There is a lot going on, but it's very good. But this show is just magnificent. It is so raw and so real and so bleak and hard-hitting and emotional. And when you do binge-watch something like that, even if you, you know, draw it out like I did, you, know, you get this real attachment to it. And there's a bit near the end where for one reason or another they're thinking that they might have to leave the Galactica and they're looking around the ship and you're like you real feel a real emotional attachment to this old ship because you spent so much time with these characters on it and the characters are so great like it is it is genuinely hands down one of my top five all-time favorite tv shows it is so fucking good uh, and to celebrate the fact that i finally finally finished watching it and obviously then get to stop talking about it to you guys uh, i did put up the uh, oral history of battlestar galactica that i did with rondy moore edward james Olmos, and trisha helfer that is on the empire online website in the pilot tv channel so i do very much recommend that you read that um because yeah it's it's a masterpiece i love it terry if you were to ever do one thing since you've got a lot of time on your hands at the moment i think sit down you should watch all of it start to finish do the whole thing yeah what i most enjoyed about 
that little moving speech you just gave was Boyd was like looking. We were obviously doing this over some kind of video app, and Boyd was just staring off into the distance, like completely <laughs> bored. Checking something. It's, it's like, no, no. Checking something. Anything else? Um, just I, Boyd, did you watch all the battles? I did, do you know what? I did watch all the Battlestar Galactica. I've told you this story before. I bought, I bought after it went out. It all came out on the, in this lavish um, metal box de- Blu-ray mm. um, release. If you, oh, you must have it. Have you got it? Anyway, I'm not a metal. Um, box. I, was, I do have the Blu-ray box out. Right. Anyway, I was sent that. I was sent that by the whoever distributed it at the time, and I was like, "Oh, fucking hell! This is lovely. I better actually watch it because you know." And I did, and it's and it's brilliant. I, I, it's an absolutely brilliant show, I have to say. So you know, I, I but much as I love, it, uh, what I find funny is your rewatch of it. That's the funny thing. The actual show itself is undeniably really, really good. Yeah, my, I'm my I think this is my it. second rewatch of it. Oh, uh, I God, did a I mean, whole yeah. rewatch Go- of this end of 2014, uh, and obviously uh, then started again last year as well. Unbelievable. Can yeah. I ask Terry though? If don't watch Battle like that, but have you watched any more of Devs? That's what I meant to ask. No, because you undertook. Oh, come on. So I was going to. <laughs> I was going to, and then one of our listeners said on Twitter, "There is absolutely no way Terry will like episode two if she didn't like episode one." So I was like, "Fuck I it! I'm going to re. I'm going to rewatch all of Feel Good. Yeah. Um, and multiple episodes of anything that isn't Devs. <laughs> wow. I, I do say, realize I'm in the minority. I do that read on I'm in the that, that Twitter person might be wrong. <laughs> Probably not, though. Let's be honest. I'm I'm nothing if not stubborn. Can you imagine me like mm. changing my opinion on something? No, no, no that's I true. can't. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I should say I also watched finally the rest of Save Me, which is magnificent. But more importantly, we just just. Mere hours ago, recorded a Save Me spoiler special podcast where we not only sifted through this season's developments, uh, we also spoke to Lenny James to get the full lowdown. Now, this one is an, uh, a sort of an, a pilot slash Empire co-production. Chris Hewitt was on there as well. And as such, it does appear in the Empire spoiler special podcast feed, which is, I'm sorry to say, behind a paywall, but it is only four ninety nine a month and you can unsubscribe at any time and it includes an archive of over a hundred other spoiler special podcasts and more coming each week including our ongoing sort of episode by episode mandalorian spoiler specials as well so if you do think that's something that might interest you uh and you can spare the cash then do check it out you can see it at glow.fm slash empire film and if you subscribe there then it will it will as if by magic spring into whichever podcast app you prefer so and that's what's going to keep us all in a job I mean, let's and yes, it. and that that will literally stop. Yeah. This is going to keep Boyd and his celebrity friends from starving to death. So you know, it's a public service. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, shall we move on now to a listener question? Now, since th- this everything seems this is completely inadvertent, but this also seems themed towards my youth for reasons I'll tell you in a minute. So Robert Farley asks: With the return of Doctor Doogie Howser via Disney Plus planned, who are your favourite doctors from TV history? Uh, and he says Doctor Rick Daglas for me, which I believe is a reference to Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Uh, but the reason why I mention oh, this yeah. is that, and I revealed this on the Empire podcast, Doogie Howser was my nickname at uh, at school because a friend of mine, Daniel, his sister or stepsister, once said that she thought I looked like Neil Patrick Harris, and so. So literally everyone at school called me Doogie Howser. For two years, this became the name that I was known by at school, much to my eternal ire. Um, So that's actually I look more like him than you do. 100%. And I never looked anything like him even (laughs) then. But but that's the thing with nicknames, isn't it? If it's it's not true, it's even better because it's more annoying. So that became a thing. Do you know what my nickname was at school? No. Brian Keenan. I don't know who that is. 
Brian the, Keenan. The guy was taken hostage. The guy was taken hostage How? because oh, because Terry White was yes. the guy. Who's... Oh, <laughs> oh yes. that's that's a that's bit clever. of a that's an, yeah, that's that's off on a on, 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 a, on a tangent. On a tangent. Mm. So that's, somebody that's worked out Terry White sounded like Terry White, and then said, and then decided it'd be funny to call me Brian Keenan. So I was Brian Keenan until I was eighteen. Brian Keenan. <laughs> so they just all right, Brian. That's... No, no, not just Brian. Brian Keenan. Always Brian Keenan. That's very. Yeah. That is a very Gavin and Stacey nickname story, isn't it? It's, like something, yes. it's definitely something yeah. that James Neil Gordon and Ruth Jones would Because there are yeah, multiple steps to it. So, so the bullies at your school were actually quite, you know, thoughtful about this stuff. Some work went into yeah. that. <laughs> Boy, what was your nickname at school? Bod. Bod? You know, there was actual, yeah, there was an actual I know, cartoon, I know who Bod is. Children's cartoon. Yeah. yeah so, you know, one letter out of my name, yeah. Yeah, bald. and he was a funny little bald fella, and yeah. of course, I have since become—I was bald at the time. I had full head of hair, but yeah. nevertheless, you look more like I mean, bald now than you did then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Good, good stuff. Anyway, Do back deep. to the question. So, TV <laughs> doctors. So, imagine for a moment that you've been struck down by the coronavirus and you're wheeled into the local A and E. Who from fictional TV doctors would you like to be picking up your chart and diagnosing you? I have a few. So, the first and most important is Doug Ross obviously um from er because not dr I, carter I, no are you kidding i have eyes and a vagina therefore it's doug ross um <laughs> yeah, so, i'm saying carter seemed like a better doctor is what i'm saying <laughs> oh is that how we're meant to be judging it i am not judging it <laughs> quality <laughs> of care yeah. i'm not judging I'm it not, on their no. medical skills <laughs> far from it so doug ross was compassionate and sexy and a massive bastard because he was rubbish at monogamy and had loads of one night stands. Um, but he made it all okay because he looked after kids. Saved one from a storm drain. He did very famously. And he eventually married Carol Hathaway, um, which makes everything all right. Carol Hathaway is my second choice. And yes, she was a nurse, but she studied to be a doctor, even though she gave it up because she realized being nurse <laughs> was more important. But I felt like this question could read a little gendered given TV history. So I decided to put a nurse in there. Um, Dr. Leg from EastEnders because of his eyebrows. And, Dr. Um, Leg. Dr. Leg, have you, have you ever seen an episode of EastEnders, James? Absolutely not. He was no. like the elderly um, doctor who seemed to be about 85 for about 20 years. And he was the Square's resident doctor and also kind of empath and all-round nice guy. Um, and Gregory House, obviously, because he will make you cry and destroy your sense of self-worth, but he will save your life which is the important thing. And he is a very good doctor. And based on his clinical skills, he's probably the best. Damn. I mean, you've ruined it because I'm I'm going full on to Gregory House. There's only there's only one answer uh, for me. I, well, uh, Boyd. I loved when I, I, I was, you know, sometimes when a show's been on for a couple of years when you never watched it, you thought, oh, that's like, I mean, when it first started in the mid 2000s, I think. Um, and I didn't really watch it much. I thought, oh, it feels fairly, it feels fairly formulaic. I mean, it is literally formulaic. It, like all mm. procedurals, every single week, it's Dr. House, there's a mysterious illness and he has to try and solve it. Um, but then I just watched one episode and I can't remember what, what it was. And I was like, oh my God, this is actually brilliant. And it became, at its height, it was absolutely brilliant. The writing was brilliant. There was one episode, remember there was like a crash on a bus and it was when House was like hallucinating. And mm. there were lots of moments where you didn't know what was real and what were his hallucinations because he was on his painkillers, addicted to his painkillers. And the characterization of the, the Cuddy, the, 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 the kind of his on-off, will they, won't they, are they 
Do They Fancy Each Other thing. She was brilliant, Dr. Cuddy, and all the supporting characters, his best mate who was brilliant, Wilson. Um, I loved that show. It was like, you know what? It's, it's an example of when a formulaic show, basically a, a procedure, a medical procedural, can rise above the kind of genre. And Hugh mm. Laurie was phenomenal. Um, it was just absolutely fantastic show. And then I got, I watched like binged on like three box set DVDs, and I watched like dozens of episodes in about a three or four day period. And if anyone's never watched House, I'm I so jealous because you will discover it and you will love it, and it gets better and better and better. The final episode of House, the last of episode, was brilliant. Yes, James. No, I'm saying if anyone has never watched House and I put my hand no. up to you've never watched Honestly, House. I've watched the Watch first it. few episodes, but it's yeah, a procedural and I hate them. You've got to dive you know. in. I can't, I yeah, can't my be recommendation with procedural be, shows. Don't be such a Start snob. Start season three or something. Yeah, don't be such a snob. It's I need brilliant. a proper story. I can't, I can't oh have him just there is a story. rattling around the hospital are- accusing people of having loopers every week. No, no. <laughs> there are story arcs. There are brilliant story arcs. And there's loopers. Yeah. Okay. We need well, house now to sort out this f- house. We'll be able to sort out this oh fucking God. virus like that. He'd sort it out. Um, my choice would, of course, be the Voyager EMH. Please say the nature of medical emergency. Um, because he would be the doctor that I would choose. Failing that, Julian Bashir, but he was a bit rubbish. Um, but the doctor I would definitely not want was Doc Cottle from Battlestar Galactica, who's the sort of grumbly, mardy, chain-smoking doctor uh, who yeah, just coughs second-hand smoke all over all of his patients. Um, also, lest we forget, Dana Scully was a medical doctor. So, um, you know, if I was going to have my COVID treated, why not have it treated by Scully? Perfect. No, no love for Hawkeye yeah. or any of the MASH crew here, yeah. I noticed. Well, oh, no, I that... like the MASH crew, yeah. There you go. Thank you, Boyd. Uh, that... Oh, what about Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman was amazing. Uh-huh. She was amazing, yeah. Yeah, she was good. Oh, Pretty there's cool. your James. definitive answer there, Rob. Um, <laughs> if you would like your question answered, then do feel free to DM one to us at Pilot TV Mag on Twitter and... Who knows? Perhaps your question will lead to Terry bringing out. Who is it? <laughs> Dr. Quinn, Dr. Medicine, Quinn Woman. Medicine Woman. I've never seen You've that. You've never seen Oh my God. That sort of. In, that and Dr. Kildare, both of them are floating around in my head as old things that my mum probably watched at some point. Oh, also Dr. Foster. Dr. Foster. Oh, yeah. That's because good. she yeah. was a, b- a bad bitch. Yeah, she Which is what you want from your caregiver. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she, she was massively unethical. Um, mm. and violent um, and manipulative but um, apart from that oh good she yep. was the perfect doctor have you've never seen Dr Quinn Medicine I might Woman? have done I don't remember it's all of it that it was on every Saturday yes, for like the was back like 15 years half of our a lives. century or something aren't we it was the show that you waited to finish before something exciting came on yeah it, it yeah. feels like that yeah. it feels like Bonanza. that yeah. Anyway, shall we move on now to this week's news, such as there is? Who wants to go first? Uh, I can. So commissions are happening. Big TV commissions are happening, which is great. So there is actual TV news. So they had um, three big shows commissioned. Justice League Dark, which I'll let you talk about. I don't really know about that, but it seems vaguely interesting. The one I'm most excited about is (laughs) The Overlook. Which is yeah. um, a which is going to be a Shining spin-off series, basically set in the Overlook Hotel where the Shining was set, obviously, but looking at other stories of other people that lived there and experienced it and stayed there. Which seems like you know, if you're going to exploit a classic all-time legendary film and book, and you know, you might as well go for something like How that. How is this I think just it makes not the new sense. season of Castle Rock? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, isn't it? There's so many things that touch upon The Shining. There's the sequel to The Shining. There was Doctor Sleep. Yeah. There's the Steven Spielberg film. What was it called? The um, where there's the whole 
yeah, Ready Player One. There's the very, the TV version of it. There's a lot of fucking shining stuff out there. <laughs> but, you know, I'm still quite excited about the idea of Overlook. Yeah. And you must be excited about Dust- Justice League Dark, wherever the fuck No, I'm not a DC person, I've got to be honest with you. Oh, right, yeah. uh, DC's okay. never really done it for me. Is it like Nike and Adidas? You can't like anything that's... It's funny, but then I think it's like everything. It's like, you know, whether it be North, South, whether it's East, West, whether it's Xbox, PlayStation, I think there's a tribalism in people that people like to love one thing Mm. and then hate the other competing thing. Um, Like, don't get me wrong, like, I really like the Batman films, but generally there's just something about uh, DC characters that don't ring true to me. But then they're aimed, they were originally, so when they first came out, they were aimed at slightly different audiences. But I've yeah I've never I've never got into DC. Was always always a Marvel person. So while the Arrowverse is supposed to be really really good, I don't watch any of that. Though I've watched I think the pilots of most, if not all of them. <gasps> Boyd, you did ask. I did ask. You did ask. Yeah, you've only got yourself well, to blame, Boyd. <laughs> I I will say then the series will include like the the gang that includes Swamp Thing, Madame Xanadu, Dead Man, Doctor Mist, and many others. It yeah. says good, great. But it's don't good that they're doing big are, bold. Oh, okay, fine. Yeah. Well, no, I liked Swamp Thing. In fact, I enjoyed Swamp Thing, the, the show, because we reviewed it, didn't we? But they cancelled it. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, I greatly enjoyed the Eddie trailer this week. Did we watch mm. it? Yeah. Yeah, Boyd did. James yeah. is not oh, paying no. any attention no. whatsoever. I did not see <laughs> it. Sorry. So, so this is um, the Damien Chazelle uh, drama miniseries, which is an American-created French musical drama. So just think about that and for Maybe a why I've not seen um, it. Probably. It's not really up your street. So um, Chazelle created it with Alan Pohl, who obviously tells the city, and Jack Thorne, who we talk about on this podcast, it feels like, on a weekly basis, mainly because he's written everything that's any good for the last, like, three years. Um, And it's about a jazz club and its owner. Um, It's got Andre Holland in it from Moonlight. Um, He's the owner of this Parisian jazz club. Joanna Kulig from Cold War, who I adore and worship and just thought she gave one of the best performances of that year, two years ago, whatever that year was. 2018? Fuck knows. Um, She plays a singer who's on-off girlfriend. There's kind of thriller elements, I think, from the trailer. There's some bad guys. Um, Part of it's in French. Um, It looks really exciting to me. It looks really unusual. Not quite what I was expecting. I'm not sure what I was expecting, but obviously... Um, it seems like a real kind of evolution from what Chazelle's done in this space before. I think it looks brilliant. It comes to Netflix on the 8th of May, and I presume we will be reviewing it. I'm presuming um, Boyd has already seen it. It is in our, yes. it's in our account, yeah, I was right? going to say, it's in, my, it's in my playlist for Netflix. But. Yeah. And the, yeah, there's a, there's a feature on it in um, the new Pilot TV magazine mm. um, where we spoke to Jack Thorne about it, and um, uh, he's very excited about it. It's uh, I'm sure it's embar- it must be embargoed, so I won't say what I think yeah. of it. But it is yeah. it is really unusual. It's so, uh, whatever you, I mean, you'll have never seen anything like it. Honestly, it's it is it is it's very jazz. I'll say that for huh. this. Jazz. That's what I'll say. Very jazz. Yeah. Jazz, um, but yes. the people involved, incredible array of talent yeah. involved, um, and and Jack, Jack Thorne talking about it's really interesting. I think, you know, they're making a, a well. I don't think this will mean much to you, but they're making a TV show of Mist M Y S T, which is a PC oh, yeah. game. I mean, so the, I remember that. Yeah, from the nineties. Yeah. Um, but this is this is I think the cat Ashley Edward Miller who uh, who worked on Thor and X Men First Class is penning the pilot for that, and he's going to be showrunner of the uh, of the series. Um, I, all I remember about the game and its sequel, which I believe was called Riven, uh, was that it had like pre-rendered, very beautiful-looking graphics, and it was a sort of a puzzly thing. But apparently, there's a deep 
canons spanning thousands of years of mythology and history, uh, which is always something that appeals to me. So, you know, maybe this will be really good. Apparently, the primary saga follows Atrus, the grandson of a woman named Anna, who sets off on a momentous series of events where she discovers a mysterious civilization called the Deny. There you go. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> uh what else is there? Oh so so Netflix are having a good time at the moment. Don't you see this? And Netflix are currently worth more than Disney after their stocks mm. hit an all-time high. Uh Netflix has a current market value of 187.3 billion dollars, putting it nearly a billion dollars higher than than Disney but not quite. Is that because of the global lockdown, yes. do we think? Yeah, it's it's just they're just saying it's sort of it's cemented their global dominance by driving massive amounts of additional subscribers because everyone's at home and so everyone's watching netflix so you know at least someone's doing well out of all this totally yeah now they can renew the oa since they've got all this fucking money oh god if only did we see the news we spoke um you you won't know who these people are but matt lucas and david williams little britain they're doing a a brand new little britain sketch okay um uh because there are rumours that they're they're definitely talking to each other and talking about working together, but it's now been confirmed that there's this thing called the Big Night In, which is this where Thursday, um, 7 o'clock BBC One. It's basically a big charity telethon type thing um, to raise money for um, workers um, involved in the in the pandemic. And they're going to do their first, this will be the first time they've worked together on TV for over a decade. So for those of us who are like Matt and David, that is very exciting. Um, was I the only one who watched that super weird Saved by the Bell reboot teaser trailer i think so yes <laughs> so they're, they're rebooting um say by the bell for peacock which is obviously that nbc streaming mm. service um and i was quite intrigued by it because it's from 30 rocks tracy wigfield and some of the original cast back specifically mario lopez elizabeth berkeley and mark paul gosselaire and <laughs> even though he's not in the teaser <laughs> But it's super weird because I I presumed it was like a reboot in the spirit of the original and named it Kids. But the teaser trailer's got kind of a few like risque, weird jokes in it. Um, so I, it might be aimed at like people like us who remember it th- the first time. Um, but I mean, I was obsessed with Say by the Bell when I was little because I imagined like in an alternate reality, I could also go to a cool American high school with like a doofy principal and like hang out with the cool kids. And, you know, that's my extended fantasy about school. But uh, yeah, it was weird. That was all I wanted to say about that. I've never seen Saved by the Bell. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. How, oh. would it get, how were these things just not like accidentally on the telly or were your mates not watching? Did you have mates? I mean, I've always been very adept at blinkering myself against certain aspects of popular culture. And I think this is this is definitely one. <laughs> I mean, every aspect of popular yeah, culture. I, I, yeah, yeah, admittedly, a lot of things. Are like, I know what I like and I like those things and I like them a lot mm. and everything else can fuck right off. <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, I mean God. that does sum you up. To be fair, there was another. Yeah. There was an exciting trailer this week as well. Did you see the trailer for um, Perry Mason? Uh, oh, with Matthew Reese. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, Matthew Reese shared the picture, didn't he, on Twitter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go well, on. it was it. It wasn't well, a full trailer, was it? It was like a weird. It's a it's a teaser trailer. It's like one and it's but you know two minutes. I think you got you got a sense of the atmosphere of the show. Anyway, I did. Uh, I felt the one I watched I was like four seconds. Oh no no no! This is I mean, a, this is a proper sure. like 
Two minute. Yeah. This is a proper two minute trailer. Yeah. And it looks really good. It looks beautiful. It's got like a Chinatown vibe to it, I think, because it is set in the, in the twenties when, uh, and Perry Mason is this lawyer who's, um, investigating crimes in, during the Great Depression. It looks, it looks lush as you'd expect from an HBO show, but I love Matthew Reese. I think he's brilliant. Mm, he was brilliant yes. in the Americans. And I, I am, I am very excited about Perry Mason. And they've announced the date. So it launches on June 21st on HBO, which means it should be shortly afterwards on Sky Atlantic, but I haven't seen any confirmation of that yet. Were you a big Perry Mason fan, Boyd? I was quite a big Perry Mason fan, yeah. Yeah, I love that kind of shit. Mm. Yeah. Feels a bit procedurally for me. It is, yeah, of course. Your anti-procedure, <laughs> anti-procedural <laughs> weird bias is absurd. Yeah. Um, speaking of absurd things... Isn't Star Trek effectively procedural? Like, every oh, week, well, you know, like they go yes, to a different... You make a very valid point. Yeah. So, well, not, not so much Ooh. now. And I think when Deep Space Nine came along, like that... That was the Star Trek. You see, you've opened the floodgates, boy. You, uh, that was the oh, kind of the God. the, the, oh, the trek that broke the mold in terms of arc storytelling. So, Deep Space Nine did have a very strong and in, and compelling ongoing story, which became more intense as it went along. But yes, Next Generation original series. Vo- I mean, even Voyager. You know, they they were largely speaking Planet of the Week, Spatial yeah. Anomaly of the Week. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. it happened on the Enterprise and Voyager and in space, therefore, was better. All right. I wish I hadn't brought it up. I wish I hadn't brought it up. Okay. But Maybe as I was on. saying, speaking of ridiculous things, Queeby surpassed one million downloads in its first week. However, it seems they were actually quite disappointed by the scope of the launch because apparently it's it was designed around commutes. It's designed around small sort of five, ten minute chunks that people watch while commuting to school and work and commuting from the kitchen to the front room isn't really the same. So uh, I think they're, they're a little bit worried that it was an ill-timed debut. But, you know, a million, that's not nothing to be sniffed at. What was, what was the clip being shared all over Twitter of the golden arm thing? Oh, yes, yes. That was um, Rachel Brosnahan, wasn't it? I forget the name. What boy, what's the name of the show? Mm. Do you remember? Yeah, I can't remember she's either, obsessed yeah. with her golden arm. Yeah. And it's got <laughs> Travis, like, Travis <laughs> Fimmels in it as well, I think. And I was just, it looked fucking wow. batshit whatever it is yeah yeah it made me excited for queeby for the first yeah time. i was like okay was, this yes yeah, weird yeah. old norm shit i kind of yeah. want to see that but yeah rogue one series news wasn't there did you see that i don't think i did the rogue one spin-off yeah god oh hang on are you talking about the cassian um, andor one yeah oh okay yes 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 i did see that they'd shot was it That's six weeks that is, of that it is a rogue one spin-off i mean yes it is but okay. uh you know it's cassie andor the all character right. we've all been waiting to see a show about uh, oh you oh, you have a massive down on it yeah i forgot yeah well yeah. it's just because he was a terrible character in the film and i just don't really see but but the k2so voiced by alan tudyk was uh was i think a lot of fun in that but rogue one and i've got a lot of time for yeah. rogue one i reviewed rogue one um yeah. I, I like it as a film i do think it suffers from unfortunately the most bland characters of all the star wars films so yeah it's not one that i necessarily would have chosen to do a a character-based spin-off from but who knows maybe it'd be amazing well, anyway, Stellan Skarsgård and Carl Solo are going to be in. Stellan Skarsgård is fucking brilliant in everything. So he is. that's good. And Tony Gilroy is going to direct the first episode. Tony Gilroy is brilliant as well. So I think there are positive points, is all I'd say. Yes, indeed. All right. And uh, they were talking about how much of that. So they'd done like six weeks of it, hadn't they, before they shut it down. So there's a, a, an amount yeah. of it in the bag. Is that it for news? Are we newsed out? I think so. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, then let us progress onto this week's reviews and we have four glorious shows for you this week we would have had five unfortunately while i have access to the last kingdom both it 
and my terrible Danish accent are embargoed until the middle of next week. So uh, we will not be able to review The Last Kingdom on this week's show. Much to Terry's horror. I don't even know what this is. We've reviewed it before. You've watched it before. It's the, the Viking show. Have I? Not Vikings, oh, the other God. Viking show. You remember You remember we did a whole thing on Viking names way back in the day? Oh, God. They all blend into well, one you interminable did. load <laughs> of <laughs> shit. Yes, indeed. Uh, <laughs> it was amazing. I absolutely love it. Um, anyway, we're not reviewing that because it's embargoed. So when I said it was amazing, I, of course, refer to the series as a whole and not the new season, which I can't talk about because it's embargoed. Anyway, first up this week, we have the BBC's adaptation of Sally Rooney's Normal People. As with the novel, this is based on the relationship between Marianne, played by Daisy Edgar-Jones, and Connell, played by Paul Meskell, two Irish teenagers, and it covers them from the end of their school lives to their undergraduate years at Trinity College. This is a 12-part adaptation split into kind of bite-sized 30-minute chunks, uh, directed by Lenny Abramson. Now, Terry... Oblivious as we've established I am to all popular culture, I'm led to believe the book that this is based on is actually something of a big deal. Is that right? So it is. I should say I haven't read it because it's not my kind of speed. Why is that, Terry? Why? What's wrong with it, Terry? Why don't you like it? Why have you read it? There's nothing wrong with it. I'm just, it's just not my, you know, cup of tea. It's, it's not Sylvia Plath or Ted Hughes oh, or, grief. you know. Um, so, but this is based on that massively successful novel. And it has, I mean, it's won a gajillion real number prizes and have been read by so many people globally, a massive success. Um, she's an Irish writer, but it was a bit massive in the States as well. So I think this was always going to be adapted. The question really was whether it was going to be telly or film. This is 12 half-hour episodes. She, Sally Rooney, co-wrote six of them. She's an exec producer. So um, it's very much meant to be in the spirit and tone of the book. It's about these two teenagers. You kind of meet them as they're in school. One's a loner and outsider. That's Marianne, who, as you say, is played by um, Daisy Edgar-Jones, who was in War of the Worlds and Gentleman Jack, but hasn't had kind of this big breakout role. And um, Connell, who's the kind of boy she ends up in a relationship with, he's the popular sporting hero at school. Um, And he's played by Paul Mezcal, who's only really done theatre before. This is his first TV role. And really the magic, I think, of this show is is twofold. One of which is the chemistry between those Mm. two, which is really gorgeous and believable and lovely and the second is really the filmmaking talent behind this which is quite something directed by Lenny Abramson who did Room but also Hetty McDonald who did arguably one of the top five greatest Doctor Who episodes ever with Blink um, and it's interesting because people have talked about this in the vein of Euphoria and Sex Education and these other shows about teen relationships but for me it's the complete opposite because it's so sweet and lovely and uncynical and there's actually something quite startling about that lack of edge because I think we're in this time where boundaries are being pushed with um, shows about teenagers and about relationships and about sex and this is kind of an outlier in the sense that it's kind of old school and traditional in some respects. It's shot using a lot of natural light. There's loads of softness to it. I watched the first two episodes. There's a gorgeous sex scene in episode two, which is so tender and delicate and awkward as fuck and everything 
<laughs> sex between two teenagers so should believable. be and actually is. It's so believable and their relationship is so believable. Um, the first two episodes that I saw are really about establishing their relationship and the dynamic between them. Um, you essentially don't get much further than they're in this, they're ha- secretly hooking up. Um, but it's pretty much entirely about their relationship and 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 who they are outwardly and then who they are when they're together. The trailer is really compelling and shows the, the kind of um, arc, really, I suppose, of the series, which follows them over four years as they go to university. She becomes more confident, their dynamic changes and kind of how their relationship changes within it. So I don't think you can expect from this first couple of episodes or from the first episode, especially this kind of huge dramatic moments or or it's very much something I feel like would probably have to be viewed in its totality because I'm not sure if I'd have gone into episode one expecting this thing that really grabbed me and had these moments of real high drama and all of that I would have been quite not disappointed but that need wouldn't have been met but there is something really as I say there's a real interesting thing happening with just how uncynical it is and just how sweet it is and you really believe in them as characters and you really believe in their relationship so I'm really excited to watch the rest of it which Christ I've got another bloody <laughs> what 10 episodes to go it's funny you say that about about high drama but there's something about it that is really compelling like I got to the end of episode one and immediately had to watch the second one because I just wanted to spend more time with these two characters that mm. they fascinated me uh, I, I really really enjoyed this um, and and I believe and this has got a slightly complicated airing schedule for this but they are putting out the first two yeah. together uh, and I think it's good that you get a real feel for them and their relationship and you know not just how sweet it is but also the the shall we say, complications of it as well. Um, mm. So, yeah, I th- I th- the sex scene in, in in the second episode was at once cringe-inducing, but also just really lovely. Like, it was really, really nice. And there's excellent use of Imogen Heap's hide-and-seek, which I very much approved of in this episode. Um and I love, it. I love there's a there's a there's a scene where they're they're discussing uh kind of like their relationship and emotions and just listening to sort of Connell try and in that male way, trying to trying to identify and apply the use of emotions to a situation and failing <laughs> spectacularly on every level uh to almost communicate his emotions. Like it's it's again really, really beautifully written uh and very, very well performed. I thought this was this was fabulous. Boyd, I'm I'm assuming that you like this. Yeah, I thought it was great. I, I I know, as Terry was saying, it wasn't what I was expecting. Mm. I haven't read the book either, no, so right. and and but I know every um, everyone I know has. And um, what I thought was really what I thought was so interesting was I remember having discussions with people about that book and reading reviews of it and like why is it what was it that was so special about it? And I don't I, I haven't had time to double check, but I don't remember people particularly hitting upon the sex element of it. And to me, it's like well, when you watch that episode yeah. two and cunningly, this, so this is weirdly going out. It, the whole thing is going to be a box set on Sunday, mm. all 12 episodes, half episodes. Then the next day, it's prime time, nine o'clock, BBC One, double bill of the first two episodes. So that's effectively like an hour long episode, even though Lenny Lenny Abramson has talked about how it's better watched in half hour chunks. Mm. So the whole thing, the whole release of it is a bit weird. And it's bold that it's going out prime time Monday, BBC One, because there's this big sex scene in the middle of it, which is very frank and realistic, as you say, 
nudity, the, the the boy and the girl. I thought it was very clever how like the lust of her for him felt like being the driving mm. force of that sex scene, and that's very established quite early on when they first meet and when they first get to get start talking to each other. Um, but what I was saying was, I felt like. The, the people talking about the book, it's and then uh, since then I've gone back to spoke to people about the, what was so brilliant about it and I said well, was it the sex scenes I'm like oh yeah the sex scenes mm. are legendary so in Sally Rooney's book she I haven't read it brilliantly wrote about the the um the experience of, of sex and all of that and I think that's and then he Abramson when he was talking to the to the cast to the actors was like we are going to deal with this head on because it has to be true to the book the way the book deals with sex and sexual relationships so and I think that from that point of view setting out to achieve that it is phenomenal those first two episodes that the way the build up to that scene the the way the scene's executed um and the aftermath so to speak is all just brilliantly done and then i think as it's going to go on the in really interesting class element of it the fact that he is working class and his mum is a cleaner in her mum's house Played by sarah green's Dublin murders Mm-hmm. Played by the great Sarah Green from Dublin Murders, exactly. Um, all of that, I think, is then, and the power of dynamic between them um, is, is really interesting. And I love the fact that it's, I think, one of the reasons, apart, so apart from the, the, the very, clearly the very brilliantly written depiction of sex, this, I think she gets um, young people just kind of being obsessed with each other and that I- immediate obsession mm. Um comes across really, really well in this adaptation, I have to say. And I think it was a kind of a masterstroke to get these people, to get Lenny involved and Hattie, as you say, these directors and the casting. I mean, they are both perfect, aren't they? Like she she exudes kind of outsider. She is incredible. Um, And he is perfect because he is a jock. Mm. He is the, the Gaelic football star in his school and everything. But... It's and it, 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 he's sensitive as well, but they're not and he can see there's something special about her. They're, they're no, kind of believable well, they, they are. Yeah. So the book clearly and this show is all about exploding those archetypes. Yeah, like in that he's yeah. So he is a jock and he is popular, but he's also shy and he's awkward and he's yeah. yeah he's incredibly as evidence yeah. in the section he's very considerate and and thoughtful and sort of kind and then obviously the way he then behaves at school is not archetypally harsh but it's maybe not as admirable and she in the same way she may be you know she's a little bit of a loner and an outcast but she's not you know she's also like the smartest kid in the school like they're they're interesting spins i mm. think on these sort of familiar characters but yeah loved it thought they were great fascinated to see i will definitely watch all of these um yeah i, I can't wait to to yeah. binge through them uh, but yeah, as you were saying, they it drops on BBC Three as a box set on Sunday, April twenty sixth, and then the first two drop on Monday, the twenty seventh, on BBC One at nine pm. That is normal people. Next this week, we have Gangs of London. This comes to us from Gareth Evans, who directed The Raid and The Raid 2. And this is a story of revenge, power plays, and general carnage staged amidst London's criminal underworld. And as you might expect from the man who brought us The Raid, it is very, very violent. In fact, I might go so far as to say it is the most violent TV show I have ever seen. Boyd, would you agree? Yeah, I think it is. I think you're probably right. Yeah, I mean, I I saw this um, a while ago at the launch of it in, um, and they showed it in a cinema, and uh, it, it and it looks incredible. 
Um, and the the creators talked about how talked about the violence aspect, and they, they were going for a kind of ultra violent, mm. <laughs> full on, no holds barred, um, stylized, you know, as as you kind of expect from this director, this writer director. And it was also got a kind of Gotham quality to it, the way they shoot London. So the first scene is them dangling yeah. Joe Cole and his and his gangster mates dangling this poor guy off the edge of a skyscraper, um, and it, it kind of it's it start it's it starts as it means to go on. And I think you'll know within the first five minutes of this. <laughs> show whether it's for you or not because yeah. it's so stylized it's so kind of over the top um and it doesn't and 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 the over the topness is i think it's it's unique selling point because i think we're used to seeing um ultra violent films like the raid and the raid 2 and brian de palma you know it reminded me of brian de palma um and other kind and horror it's got horror elements mm. to it i think um in the way it uses blood and gore uh, f- frankly um and yet it's also got the whole gangster saga element to it um but it, it absolutely revels in its preposterousness. So there's a scene where one of the young kind of trainee gangsters played by Sope Derisu, who I think steals the whole thing. Yeah, he is so phenomenal. Good. Joe Cole's great. Yeah. I love Joe Cole. He's great. But Sope Derisu, he steals. He is brilliant as this kind of fairly obscure kind of runner, if you like, for gangsters who then rises up because he, the whole story is Joe Joe Cole's trying to find out who killed his dad, who's a big uh, mob boss Colomini. in London. That's Chief the other scene. Yeah, Combini, always brilliant, yeah. But this little this guy who's a kind of, you know, low, much lower down in the gangster world is the one who ends up being key into helping Joe Colt find the people who killed his dad. And there's a scene where he walks into a pub mm. and throws a, a glass and then it, all fucking shit ensues. And it's like absolutely ridiculous. That fight. And it's never happened in a million years. It's magnificent. Yeah. The choreography yeah. of that. I mean, uh, yeah, it's I raid that. level yeah. violence. It's just amazing. Exactly. It is raid level violence. Yeah, it, so it's exactly, you know, Sky have gone out and they've gone, right, we want an utterly preposterous, <laughs> ultra-violent, super stylish, fairly, I mean, not brainless, but I mean, you know, it, n- none of it makes any fucking sense. <laughs> it's fine. And I went with it and I just went with it because I love this stuff. You know, I do yeah. love this stuff. I love the raid films. And I, and I think it's technically astonishing. Mm. Um, you know, again, pushing about the boundaries of what TV does. There's another scene later on, isn't there, in, in the kind with of... With a cleaver. Um, in this bleak room. There's a, <laughs> the fight in the room with a cleaver. Yeah, sorry. It's <laughs> unbelievable. So, and this is... It starts with a 90-minute feature-length special yeah. um, uh, episode. I fucking loved it. I'm sorry. And I know people are going to hate it. People are going to say it's a bit shit. I don't know. Terry may be about to say well, that. But um, uh, I absolutely embraced it full on. I did groan, actually, when I saw the runtime was an hour and a half. I was like, oh, fuck me. Mm. Um, but actually, I was gutted when this was over. And and it takes a really interesting... Because for all the violence and all the preposterousness, it's very deliberate in its pacing. Because this is an hour and a half introductory episode which you know didn't necessarily need to be an hour and a half but i like the fact that it was because it really i think it's important that you get to know who all these characters are because there's lots of stratus to the kind of hierarchy of this underworld and yes it is daft but they're um I think you get to know them throughout this episode and it takes time to do that. And I think if you just gone through the story beats and the violence, the literal beats uh, in this, I don't, I don't think you've got a feel for who these people are and why you should care about it. And I think you do by the end of this, but it is, and I can't emphasize this enough. So violent. Like there are a couple of bits. I genuinely had to look away from the screen. I was like, Oh my God, I can't watch that. Like it's, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's pretty full on, mm. but it's good stuff. It is not, it is not as I, erroneously pointed out last week based on the video game Gangs of London. Now, the production company that did this is the same company that optioned the video game Gangs of London, and they have the option to it. And then they made this with the same title, Gangs of London, which is why lots and lots of uh, places on the internet have 
wrongly said that this is based on that video game, but actually apparently it isn't at all, but they still own the rights to that. But anyway, none of that matters because I'm desperate, desperate <laughs> to hear what Terry thought of this. So I was fully prepared to hate this for so many reasons. <laughs> and um, I absolutely loved it. Really? It was like absolutely loved it the 90 minutes just i did the same as you i loaded it up last night and i was like oh for fuck's sake like <laughs> can't i just watch all of afterlife again and it's honestly that 90 minutes just flew by yeah. there was not a moment of fat on this first feature length episode at all as you say if you're not into violence this is absolutely <laughs> not the show for you do not watch one second of it from the moment it opens on an incredibly inventively violent scene yeah. um you think oh i, I know how, how this is going to be violent oh no you don't because it's just going to like d kill somebody in a completely uh awful brutal ridiculous way um it's ultraviolet in every sense of the word i love that stuff anyway i love how that kind of all that sense of ultra applies to everything the london they they represent is not the london we know it's not the gritty london of save me for example mm. as boyd said it's gotham it's this slick noiry version of the city um i mean there'll be i've, I've already seen like comparisons to peaky blinders um but as you'd expect with Gareth, you know, this isn't influenced by the West and by American TV shows and American films. The Eastern influence is really interesting. You can see that in the fight scenes. I mean, how you've mentioned the one in the pub and the one in the abandoned building. How they're choreographed and shot and most importantly edited is beyond. And like you, there were moments when I either put my hands over my own <laughs> yeah. eyes or over my mouth because I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. It is so brutal um and boyd i completely agree so pedorito is just amazing from the minute he comes on screen mm. he is dynamite yeah. so magnetic um unbelievable you just can't stop watching him joe cole's very intense i'd say i was like mm. oh you're doing yeah. the, the the intense thing very well um i thought everybody was brilliant to be honest i just and and to james's point i thought taking the time to do the dramatic pieces in between these mad set pieces of violence was just genius. And I think it, it's why it was vital to have this 90 minute episode mm. because those dramatic pieces, which were very quiet and quite slow and a real juxtaposition to mm. what you'd just seen as like eight people had their necks fucking broken. <laughs> I just thought worked brilliantly. I got so excited by the end of this and was like immediately wanted to watch more even though it was one in the morning um i just thought this was a fantastic fantastic piece of work really and it's it's watch it yeah because even the non even the non-violent piece set pieces like the funeral um yeah it's like it's, it's filmed in an operatic yeah. way isn't it so every scene is filmed in a kind of heightened um incredibly dramatic way so it's, it's supremely it's like the guys yeah, like the five families it's like the godfather mm. Yeah, 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 very compelling. This, I think, this is ten parts. Am I going to say ten part, ten episodes yeah. this season? Yeah, uh, Gangs of London, ten episodes of Gangs of London. This begins on Sky Atlantic on Thursday, April twenty third at nine pm. Uh, steal yourself. 
That's all I'm going to say. We should say, yeah. I do think we should say, don't watch with kids. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, like, Jesus. Oh, yeah. But, but, fucking hell. That's implied. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of people do. Under no like, circumstances allow any child <laughs> to be within a mile of the room you watch this in, because it's horrific. Um, <laughs> or anyone with a nervous disposition. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Next up is season two of Ricky Gervais' Afterlife, in which we continue to follow Tony as he mourns the death of his wife while trying not to lash out at everyone around him. Now, <laughs> Terry, I know you enjoy this because you texted me about how much you were watching this. Uh, I, I yes. would nominate this show right now for best use of C-bombs on television. Well, as you say, right, in the first 10 minutes of this... Um, the first thing they do, there's a lovely montage kind of catching you up on on um, uh, kind of where everybody is mm. now. And then the first bit is where Tony goes to interview a 100-year-old woman <laughs> at her care home who immediately goes into this rant about wanting to die, about all uh, how all of her family have died, about how she wakes up every morning wishing she'd died and then calls her fellow care home residents cunts <laughs> three times in quick succession. <laughs> And and you're like, oh, okay, we're back where we were. It, it's like brilliant at just reestablishing the tone because you're like, oh yeah, this is this is what this is. Um, if we remember where we left it, it was he'd been grieving his wife, and it looked like there may be chance of romance with his uh, dad's nurse played by Ashley Jensen. I don't think it's a spoiler because you find out in the first five minutes that they're just friends, and really, this is the tension of the series and I suppose if the first season was about him surviving that kind of brutality of immediate grief this is really about him starting to consider whether he can let go of Lisa if he can let go of her at all in fact I mean all the great stuff he loved from series one is there so Penelope Wilton is still brilliant as the widow he sits with every day in the graveyard Roisin Connerty who we love on this yeah. podcast as Roxy the sex worker is still genius Joe Wilkinson as Pat the Postman Postman Pat fuck me that in itself <laughs> is still genius but there's these lovely new notes. So there's a relationship blossoms between two of the characters. I don't want to say who because it's a really lovely moment when it does happen. Paul Kay, right, gets oh. more screen time as the therapist, right, who now sees Tony's brother-in-law uh, brother and boss Matt. Some of those scenes between them... I was open-mouthed in the way I was with Gangs of London, but for different reasons. <laughs> because some of the stuff, and you forget how... Well, maybe you don't forget, but I think it's testament to the fact that Ricky Gervais, there is nowhere he won't go. There is nowhere where other people just wouldn't write that stuff in the year 2000 because of backlash and people being upset or, or by it. Or the year it. 2020. Or, what did I say? What did I say? <laughs> the year 2000. 2000, yeah. <laughs> God <laughs> knows where I am. I mean, what day look, or what I think we can all agree time is basically now meaningless, so it's all fine. <laughs> yeah, what yeah. is time? Time is a fucking construct. <laughs> anyway, that those scenes are among some of the funniest, but among some of the closest to the bone. And I have to say, if some of the language and the dialogue, I think some people will find some of it offensive. Some people may think some of it's unnecessary. Um, there's a whole thing about a nonce. Uh, and it's just, it's if, if you do not like Ricky Gervais's brand of humor, then there will be bits of this that really rub up against you. But also there's just still the same kind of emotional heart and real heartbreak in this. Like the 
way he portrays grief, I think, is so interesting because it's actually at points clumsy and a bit awkward, but it's incredibly earnest. And I think that makes it really real because I think when you see people grieving and they want to talk about the person who's died, it's not always in a in a with great narrative context. It is awkward and it is clumsy and it is kind of real. And I really like that it it's portrayed like that. And I like how earnest it is. And those moments where he's talking about his grief and sitting with his grief are incredibly earnest and incredibly sincere and I love the sincerity at the heart of this even though there are these really out there moments and I saw somebody I've read a couple of the reviews and and it's been criticized a little bit for being repetitive in terms of the themes it deals with and all of that but I think that's because grief is repetitive you don't meet some new bird get over it and bounce back it ebbs and it flows and you feel better and you feel worse and again I think that's just shows the kind of realism at the heart of this depiction of what grief is um there are also a couple of new characters and i must give a shout out to the two um you properly get to see um the son of lenny's girlfriend you you really start to understand him as a character tony way who's you know massively uh kind of relies on his mum still they have a really weird codependent relationship there are a couple of brilliant scenes with him one where Lenny and his mum are um, having sex <laughs> another one which is um, the whole episode is centred around this Amdram performance it's a really brilliant episode so I just I really love this I watched the whole thing um, in a day and a half and it just for me is easily matches the first season maybe slightly better to be honest um, it isn't perfect, and I don't think it will be received that way. But I think it's a piece of real, of real television with heart and with sincerity, um, and also with some massively inappropriate jokes. It kind of completely delivers. That's yeah. it. The uh, the cunt counter alone, yeah, that that opening scene, which I do address in my interview. You'll be pleased to know <sighs> right at the beginning. We, look at, we address the multiple use of the word cunt from Annette Crosby of course is plays the 100 year old woman of one foot in the great fame and what I, 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 one of the things I love about the casting is he cast these um, British sitcom legends so you've got her Penelope Wilton mm. um, from Ever Decreasing Circles um, and the boss of the paper um, is played by the other actor from Ever Decreasing Circles as well so you've got these like and that's like a reunion of that show and that show if anyone's never seen it um, if I, don't, I can't I must have banged on about it before but it's one of the greatest British sitcoms ever um, and was kind of weirdly kind of I don't know like not very not broad it was very kind of looking at a kind of one man's obsessive personality played by Richard Bryce anyway he kind of pays tribute to British sitcom tradition and I think in that structure that Terry was talking about I think every episode is deliberately like a 24 hours in the, a day in the life of these t these characters so he wakes up and he's thinking about still about his late wife who died of cancer and then when he goes to bed so most episodes begin start and end with him waking up and then going to bed and still thinking about her looking at these old videos that he looks at on his laptop and the way i think yeah the way it deals with grief because it's it's like it, the first season kind of ends it feels quite neat the way it ties up the first season that he mm. learns to kind of accept the grief somehow and he learns not to be such a twat to everyone um and then what's brilliant about this series is he's still got it he's not doesn't go away and i think that's that is the reality of it isn't it grief does not go away. you don't stop missing your um your dead 
partner and um that is done so well throughout the whole series those scenes are even more moving i found them even more moving they're still coping finding it difficult to cope sometimes harder to cope he's drinking more and his conversations with penelope wilton on the park bench in the in the graveyard are just so beautiful and moving and i also think it's even funnier because i do think he's gone out there yeah he's even more you know he's he's the most confident writer of, of, of comedy in that he does not give mm. a fuck i mean he that's really the thing but it it, yeah, but it results in hilarity. I agree. The Paul K scenes, I think, so I think that the, you could take these groups of characters, you could take the Paul K character, the world's most inappropriate counsellor, therapist, with his mates, Ratty and the Nonce. <laughs> and that is a sitcom there. That's like, a, you know, you could do like a 23-part sitcom just with him about his life. You could do a massive sitcom, as you say, about Tony Way's character um, and Joe Hartley and their, and, their, and the son and, and that, how that plays out. You could do a whole thing about Rishin Connerty's um, sex work Mm. And that, and that, what happens with her? They're all so strong. They're so well, like effortlessly, kind of. You know who they all are, and it's a big ensemble. I mean, you know, it's a huge, it's a huge thing. I haven't even mentioned, um, you know, his main interrelationship with um, with uh, what's an Ashley Jensen. You know, the, yeah. the the work at his dad's home because um, that's a big are they or aren't they going to have a, some kind of romance um, so it's just so it's so brilliantly cast it's so it's so well drawn the characters and it's so enjoyable isn't it as you say well, just there's something I think tonally the shifts work so brilliantly um, and it's so supremely enjoyable and entertaining that it's it, it's almost difficult to kind of work out how he's done it I think and I just think he's hit the sweet spot you know, kind of obviously the office is like the greatest thing. I was I feel it's probably the best British sitcom of all time. But there's something about this that, that is so supremely enjoyable to watch. And yeah, it's very sharp edged and, you know, kind of and tough in some ways, and yet sweet and beautiful. I just think this and he's definitely gonna do a third series, by the way. And I just think it, he he's just found a rhythm to this show that is really special. And um it's just fantastic. I love it, yeah. Unsurprisingly, obviously, See, it's 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 funny. Like, unlike uh, the office, is not something I enjoy because it's just again, I, I struggle with that particular type of humour. Um, and in this one, the Paul K scenes, I really did not enjoy because again, that is just so far away from what I find funny. And so, because of that, and that one scene, the Paul Kane scene from the first episode, really kind of hit, hit a bum note with me. And I was like, mm, I'm not enjoying this. This is, I don't think it's bad at all. I recognise it very good for people who find things funny but for me i was like this is not amusing and then and then and then and then and then the yoga scene happened and the yoga scene happened and understand mm. like even when i find things genuinely funny i am not someone who really laughs out loud you might get a little <laughs> from me. you remember the funny or dire segment i just don't laugh even when i think things are funny now there is a line in this episode where he calls someone a fucking snot-gurgling cunt. And the delivery of that line, and indeed the line itself, had me laugh hysterically out loud at some volume for at least 30 seconds and then to titter occasionally for about five minutes thereafter. And this is something that just doesn't happen to me when I watch TV. There's something about it just really tickled me. And I think he has, first of all, he... As you say, he has a boldness in the way he writes. He's very provocative. He doesn't give a fuck. And, you know, the way he uses that word and the way he uses expletives in this, it's like symphonic. It's like music. It's art, you know. And his delivery of that line was just so <laughs> dripping with contempt and perfectly executed. You know, whether or not his humour is always for me, the man's a genius. And it was... Yeah, it, it's it's very very good. It's very good. I think the series as a whole is probably not 100 percent my sense of humour, but certainly, if only for his his deployment of of swearing, 
I, I, I give it the, the double thumbs up. And the, the Amdram stuff, I want to, as Terry mentioned, I love that Amdram stuff. And he, he at one point he was going to write a whole series about Amdram. I think really? he's kind of mildly obsessed with that. And there's a waiting for Guffman mm. element to it, which is one of my favourite films. I love that whole world of these people who take this so seriously. And the performance is so, I mean, it's just magically, magically brilliant. Yeah. Uh, that is Afterlife and Afterlife debuts on netflix on friday april the 24th finally this week is apple's new show defending jacob based on the novel by william landay which stars captain america himself with beard uh chris evans as assistant district attorney andy barber whose investigation into the murder of a schoolboy summarily implodes when his son played by its Jaden martell is implicated in the crime boyd what is the verdict? <laughs> well, I love a legal thriller, you know, generally. Um, the film The Verdict is one of my favourite films. I could watch this kind of stuff very happily. And you get Chris Evans in full-on beard mode. People are very excited yes. about his facial hair um, and quite right too. Um, and it's got an interesting premise. You know, he is he is a DA and obviously it's his job to um, investigate and to deal with um murders and the cases there's a murder in the woods of a, of a, of a schoolboy and to cut a long story short his own son is a prime suspect is the prime suspect and i have to say um jada martell as you said from it is fantastic he's brilliant he's he's the star for me so I, obviously it's exciting that chris evans is in it his wife is played by michelle dockery from um from downton who does a very convincing american act- accent she's great considering how posh she is mm-hmm. in downton i was impressed by that and every role is there's cherry jones is in it um pablo schreiber jk simmons pops up um you know it's it's like a, it's definitely like this is oozing um, high-end yeah. TV. It's Apple. It's definitely like the most, I would say, starry um, kind of prestigious project since morning um, the morning show. I would say, and but I feel it's a so far. I've watched two episodes, and I think there are eight. Um, it doesn't feel special yet to me. It feels it's very watchable. Um, you know, who wouldn't enjoy watching Chris Evans with his full beard, being very kind of serious and professional, and then you know, emotional, having to deal with the probability that some might be a psychopathic killer. Um, and you, it's keeping me guessing, and I like all that. I'm, it's got, it's got it, what it feels. I think why it feels a slightly underwhelming to me is I feel it's using a lot of the storytelling um, methods of peak TV. Like for example, so it starts with him at a trial being interrogated um, and then it's all done in flashback and then intersperses him um, and and him being interrogated at this trial throughout the show. And that feels very, like you know, every show, doesn't it? Every drama on Netflix and Amazon Prime starts with a flashback or a flash forward and like, and then you're like, and then this happened six months previously. And it's like, not everything has to work like that, you know? Um, So, and I I did feel like I've seen all of this before um, and yet, you know, I'm going to carry on watching it. I want to. I want to find out what happens in the end. And it's very well made. It's got the whole thing's got this kind of um, grey, rainy sheen to it. It's like you know, it's all kind of quiet, and it is quite serious. It takes itself very it seriously. Does. There's almost no humour whatsoever in it, um, which I feel is slightly lacking. But you know, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I don't think I don't feel yet. It feels like anything special. Something about this really sucked me in. Although I will say, like when the fact that it started in the courtroom. Uh, in this sort of the beginning of the grand sort of jury trial and uh, and I really really got into it very quickly and then when it flashed back I was a little bit crestfallen because I love a courtroom drama and I was really hoping this was going to (laughs) play out in the courtroom and when it became like real life again I was like damn it but 
as you say, it's, it's not a humour in this. It is does take itself very seriously, but something about this is very compelling. And I think partly it's Evan's performance, partly it's the setup. Um, but this really, really sucked me in. I definitely want to watch the rest of this. I'm, I'm, in, I'm enjoying this immensely, even if it is not, sadly, a courtroom drama. Uh, but I think Evans, there's something about him that's very watchable. Jaden Martell is, is, is extraordinary performance in this. But Evans is a very watchable mm. actor. He's instantly likable. And perhaps it's just the beard. It's hard to tell. Um, but, you know, the, the sort of interplay he has with Pablo Schreiber, who's kind of another uh, sort of uh, prosecutor working, working in his office. There, there are lots of little threads here that I enjoyed. I think it's funny, like, going into this having not read the book not knowing anything about it i almost felt it was a shame it was called defending jacob because up until you know a good way into the first episode you don't really know explicitly where it's going from watching it except for the title of the show and the beginning but um you know and and i, I like the way they tease that out and i think the first episode ends on a real sort of like tingling note uh which really draws you into this this mm. how this is going to play out my understanding from this one is that uh william landay's book does end on a fairly uh definite note now this has it's kind of it's listed variously as a series or a mini series my feeling on this is it's not a kind of one and done that actually they're certainly leaving the opportunity to continue this uh, i haven't seen all of it so i can't say that for certain uh, and i certainly have heard that it's possible they've deviated from the book slightly but having not read the book i guess it doesn't really matter uh terry have you read read this one at all i mean i appreciate sylvia plath did not pen it so possibly not <laughs> have a fuck no <laughs> have um, a fuck. Have a fuck. look i got i got really excited initially because one of the first people you see on screen Apart from Chris Evans, it's Pablo Schreiber, a.k.a. No, a.k.a. William Lewis from Law and Order Special Victims Unit, who gave Liv one of her greatest ever dramatic arcs. But that aside, I found this quite boring. Um, So I should say I only watched the first episode and I did read that they're dropping the first three episodes together, um, which may be for the benefit because... As a first episode, it didn't grab me at all. I agree with you on Jed Martel. I mean, he's got this incredible coldness and detachment that I think a lot of teens have. And you're kind of, they're already planting the kind of questions, is he a psychopath or is he just a teenager? <laughs> and it's it's kind of difficult to tell, <laughs> but he has a real, a real charisma about him. Michelle Dockery and Chris Evans are fine. His beard's... Um, really good uh, <laughs> Betty Gabriel who is in a lot of the Bloomhouse films she's obviously the nana in Get Out I was really excited to see she was in it because I think she's mm. brilliant she plays a, a, a detective and she based on the first episode feels really underused um, yeah I mean I thought it was fine. <laughs> okay. Terry thinks I agree, it's fine. Yeah. Also, I, I enjoyed this a lot more than you guys did, I think. like I, I mm. Yeah, I struggled mm. with it. I thought I, I thought it the premise sounded right up my street, but there was something um I don't know, I felt quite detached from the entire thing. There was no moment where I was really hooked or intrigued um or compelled. And you know, it looks beautiful, we should yeah. say. I should say the the fucking cast is incredible. The the prestige around this is is all there. It just didn't hook me in at all. I'm definitely going to press on with this. Is it eight episodes in total? Am I am I right, Boyd, or is it? 
I think so. Yeah, I think so. I may or may not have access to all eight of those, so that will be very exciting for me to watch. Uh, yes, definitely. I'm definitely going to press on with this. Uh, your mileage may vary, but Devenny Jacob drops on Apple TV Plus on Friday the 24th. Also out this week, of course, is The Last Kingdom, the latest season of which drops on Netflix on Sunday the 26th, but we can't talk about it yet, which is very upsetting. Uh, so that you should be definitely added to your watch list. And if you haven't seen all the other seasons of that, do, if only to enjoy the accents as much as I do. Um, Sky Witness have Lincoln Rhyme Hunt for the Bone Collector dropping on Monday, April the 20th. We didn't review this, but I'm a big fan of Jeffrey Deaver's books. I've read this book and obviously the Denzel Washington and Angelina Jolie film adaptation of that book as well, The Bone Collector, which is very good. Uh, I don't know if this particular adaptation of it is good or not, but have a, it's a good story. So, you know, maybe give that a go. Uh, what else is on? Uh, season two of New Amsterdam comes to Amazon on April the 21st. We did not wildly enjoy season one. So, you know, whatever. Anything else, Boyd? Anything else we've missed? Blacklist returns to Sky One thing- on the twenty third. Yeah, Blacklist is back, and there's a thing called Emergence that starts today on. What's Fox Emergence? Is that's got quite good reviews? Is this a science fiction show it's, that we've somehow missed? Kind of, no, no, it's a crime. It's a legal crime thriller, but it does star um, Alison Tolman, who was in um, the first season of Fargo, and who's really good. Generally, um, she's a police chief who um, investigates a massive mystery after a big plane crash or something but it's it's it looks quite okay. good emergence good, on good. fox emergence which drops on fox mm. on monday april 20th at 9 p.m. monday yeah okay and now the question what would be your pick of the week well i think it would be afterlife for me oh it's an afterlife gangs of london head to head fuck knows that's it. You're, you're refusing to make a decision on this one. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm saying both of them and you get the casting vote, James. Oh, well, mine is actually going to be normal people. That was my pick of the week. Oh. Are you no? joking? Absolutely wow. serious. Wow. You contrary fucker. <laughs> yes, that too. Yeah. I know. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. I thought it was fantastic. I enjoyed it a great many things this week, but I enjoyed that more than the others. So uh, normal people is my pick of the week. Well, do you know what? I'm going to go Gangs of London. Just to be difficult. Sure. Afterlife, Just Gangs of London difficult. and Normal People. There we go. You get a trifecta of different shows recommended to you. Um, it is a good week it for is a good telly, week for telly, officially. Yeah. It is a good week for telly. Now, shall we go on to the Banshee segment where we uh, pick up an old show to recommend people, so named after Jonathan Tropper's Banshee, the first series that we did? Who would like to go first this week? Boyd with the, oh no Terry's volunteered Terry's volunteered <laughs> oh, you dodged a bullet there Boyd but now I'm worried we might have done it before there is a spreadsheet you don't have access to it <laughs> okay no have we done crashing I feel like um, Boyd has done I it I think I have done crashing yeah I, I think so I feel like he has but go ahead <laughs> yeah I think in I fact I know he, no, I know he has I know he has done it uh, I don't I'm have it on the spreadsheet, sure I did, but yeah. I know what it is. And the only reason I would know what it is is because Boyd has banshee it. <laughs> well, you, then go to Boyd first and I'll have to find something else. No, 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 don't feel it. You can, you can recommend crashing again. People might not remember it. Go on, I can't... do it again. Go for it. Okay. All right. I'm going to banshee. What's crashing, that, Terry? We've definitely, not do- <laughs> we've definitely not done it before, before anybody gets out their spreadsheet and says we have this 
as you won't know, is Phoebe Waller-Bridge's first telly show. This actually premiered in 2016, um, the same year, I think, as um, Fleabag, right? Boyd, I'm looking at you, in case you'd ever bantered this before. Um, Um, Probably the same year she did Fleabag, you mean live, yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah. But Fleabag, the show, was later, wasn't it, I think? Was it? I'm pretty sure. I think so. Was it? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> was it um anyway so this is um it's set in a disused london hospital they're essentially property guardians who are obviously the people um who uh, look after a building when it's been derelict or it's waiting for building works and they're there to kind of scare off robbers squatters whatever um i think it was her first official telly project and it's essentially i always thought it's kind of like friends um but british with a bit of austerity, um, with slightly more irritating people, um, because <laughs> she's, you know, there are 20 something group of people. She plays this girl who fucking plays the ukulele. Um, why does anybody need to play a ukulele? Um, Adrian Scarborough is amazing in this, um, as a middle aged divorcee. Um, this is kind of doesn't have the bite, I think, or the real power that we see from Phoebe Waller-Bridge now, but you can kind of see the beginnings of her genius um, and really where her writing was going to go. So this is all on all four, more four, all more, more four, all four, all four. This is all on all four, more four. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, So it's definitely um, worth your time. Probably not as much worth your time as Run, which is premiering on Sky Comedy at the moment, which Phoebe Waller-Bridge is an exec producer of. But also, if that whets your appetite and you want a bit more Phoebe Waller-Bridge in your life, then go and watch Crashing, which we definitely haven't banished before. <laughs> Thank you. And you're absolutely right. Fleabag was 2016, which is incredible. Yeah. It doesn't feel like... Yeah, yeah. And, and they came out the same year, yeah. Thanks, yeah. Boyd. Boyd. I remember Jonathan Bailey's in it, and there's that relationship with Jonathan Bailey and Amit Shah's character. Yeah. That's, that's interesting, yeah. That's a very interesting element to it. Um, I am going for. I was um, thinking. Of, someone was talking to me about the night of. You know, one of the, which is oh, one of so the best um, limited series that's ever been. The HBO Sky Atlantic show with Reese Ahmed, um, who was accused of a crime that he doesn't remember whether he did it or not. And that and suddenly remembered. And I, and I did check the spreadsheet for this that I hadn't ever mentioned Criminal Justice, which was the original British show with that storyline that the night of was adapted from. And it's a, it's a very different type of series. It was shown in 2008, stripped across the week on BBC One Prime Time, starring Ben Whishaw in the Riz Ahmed um, role. And he, after a big night out with his mates, and there's a, and there's a, a murder, doesn't remember whether he did it or not. So it's that's the kind of um, thing that they used, the idea they used um, for the spark for the night of. And it's obviously the night of was a very different show. But what they do have in common, as the title suggests, Criminal Justice, is it follows this guy, Ben Wishel's character, being accused of this crime. And it takes you through the process of the criminal justice system, the incredibly infuriating process of, you know, of interrogation by the police, being assigned a lawyer, all of that step by step as the night of did and it was a really really good show it was written by Peter Peter Moffat not Stephen Moffat Peter Moffat he was a very good writer and it's all on iPlayer and there's a second series so that was in 2008 and then there was a second series starring Maxine Peake in 2009 which is a completely different story in which yeah in which she is um, a woman accused of um, killing her husband I think it was and she was uh, abused by him and it's that that's a really interesting um, I've seen that it's amazing yeah 
Yeah, it's amazing. So both these series of Criminal Justice are really, really good, both on iPlayer, and um, that's my Banshee. Good, good choice. So I, I wanted to James. follow on from my uh, since uh, the sort of my legal drama itch only got slightly scratched by um, by defending Jacob. I wanted to talk about a legal drama that I very much like. I've already b- banshee'd Boston Legal. I know that because I checked the spreadsheet. But what I did want to talk about was the practice from which Boston Legal spun off. Did any of you watch the practice? This started in ninety seven until 2004 eight seasons of it so it's it's a david e kelly show obviously and it takes place in the in the ali mcbealiverse in that there is at least one crossover episode um Whereas Ali McBeal was very much a comedy and it was very, it was sort of wacky, crazy, slightly <laughs> surreal. Um, this was a much grittier, more dramatic take on a kind of Kelly legal drama. Uh, it kind of, it weirdly sits between Ali McBeal and Boston Legal. Boston Legal being another slightly wacky, much more comedic one. And this had sort of some, some very, had some instances of light comedy in it, but it was a very serious show. Uh, and it kind of, it mainly centered around the kind of conflict, the rub between, between the law and sort of the ethics of legality of things and personal morality. And these things often came to head. So it was a small firm led by Bobby Donnell, who was played by Dylan McDermott. Uh, and he had Steve Harris, Cameron Mannheim and Kelly Williams were his associates in it. And, um, and it began, it was to a certain extent a procedural, it was sort of case of the week type stuff, but it was always very murky and sort of morally, you know, uh, uncertain. And I think Kelly uh, went on record as saying that he wanted this as a kind of, uh, it was a counterpoint to LA law, which I think he found irritating because he said it was a very, it was a very sort of sunny romanticized version of sort of American legal system. And he wanted to show that it's not always that cut and dry. So, uh, yeah, we had eight years of this and I, I, found this riveting um i I was was completely and utterly hooked on it and then when it gets towards the end the tone changes so dylan mcdermott leaves i want to say i think he leaves as a regular cast member in season seven season eight he's in it as a guest briefly and everyone's kind of moved on at that point but james spader joins the cast in season eight as alan shaw and renamitra's in it as well uh, and those two characters obviously go on to boston legal but in the last season you see the dna of this show start to change where it becomes a lot less serious and a lot more silly uh, and the comedy really starts to feel through so it's, it's a it's a wonderful transition from this very serious legal show into the zany comedy masterpiece that is boston legal which is a phenomenal show in and of itself but that last season is a wonderful sort of bridge where it's a little bit of one a little bit of the other and it perfectly eases you out of this murky world and into the stupid world of uh of of james bader and william shatner being brilliant as denny crane and all the craziness that went on in boston legal so it's a fun thing to actually watch one through and then go straight into the other one but uh the practice if you if you like a courtroom drama i can't recommend this highly enough like ali mcbeal i thought was very marmite like you either loved or hated her and her and vonda shepherd um and i am ali mcbeal i used to find quite irritating but this this was fucking brilliant uh, and Boston Legal very much too so the practice I don't think as if I'm right in saying I do not believe the practice has ever been made available in full on DVD in the UK so I remember trying to find it once and not being able to what is wrong with Ali McBeal it's irritating <laughs> is that it is no it irritating. is no, it's fine. I don't mind Ali McBeal but it's a little irritating and she's a little irritating in it it's a oh, bit more can't, can't take a textured, interesting yes, woman. Yes, yes, sorry, that's the reason. That <laughs> is the reason to find Callista Flockhart's Ali McBeal uh, irritating. Not the fact that she's repeatedly sniffing Gil Bellow's arsehole for no particular reason. Yes. 
I mean, what oh, about when easy. he? What about when he dies and then she hallucinates him as a ghost for about I mean, I was five just years? Thankful that he or died what about when her, deeply annoying? What about when a test tube accidental test tube baby turns up fully Peter grown? Peter McNichol was the that best she didn't thing know she in had. that with the Barry White stuff as the biscuit. He was amazing. The the. The Robert Downey Jr. years were quite <laughs> yeah, that's something. True too. That's true. Although the whole something. sort of wattle caressing was a bit me too in all kinds of sort of like problematic ways. Um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting show. Maybe I'll revisit it. Probably not, but maybe. The practice, you can only get the first two <laughs> seasons of it on. You can buy them. Uh, they're available digitally on Amazon and Google, but you don't seem to be able to get the latter ones. So, sorry, I can't help anyone with that. It might be on YouTube. That's all I can say. The practice. Right. Okay, good. Well, that's nearly it for another episode of the pilot tv podcast but not quite before we head off we promised you an epic chat with ricky gervais and we are not ones to disappoint so here for your listening pleasure is the full unredacted unedited unrated live and unleashed interview between tv's boyd hilton and tv's ricky gervais hello uh welcome to pilot tv podcast ricky gervais hello um we're talking about season two of Afterlife, of course. Um, yeah. Some huge big themes, grief, love, enduring love. But the first thing that struck me watching series two is it felt like you were trying to break the record for the, having the most amount of cunts in one series. You don't mean the actors and actresses, do no. you? No. You mean the, the words. words. Yeah. <laughs> in the first six minutes, I counted five. Right. In the first six minutes. And yeah. then throughout the rest of the series, it, it's a theme. Was that something that struck you? Was it just, just the freedom of Netflix, you know, having the freedom to use as many of those words as you want? Or was it just realism? Well, I suppose, uh, I mean, I couldn't do it on um, real telly. Uh, but it's more that it reflects the realism of how people talk. And, you know, he's, he's an angry guy. And, and uh, I mean, that, you, that word is used very liberally in, um, in England and... Uh, Australia and Scotland and I, so I still have to sometimes explain to Americans on Twitter that it doesn't carry the misogyny right. that it does in America. In fact, a, a British guy will rarely use it about a woman, and then it then it is shocking. We use it uh, uh, for blokes to say he's a he's an an horrible person. Um, then I have to explain that sometimes it's even used as a term of endearment. And I have the Australians coming on my side. I go, yeah, no, it's true. I call my mate a right cunt, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, uh, yeah, it's. Um, I suppose there is a liberation there, but it's also it's also a funny word, and it's part of the English language. It's a, it's it's a great word, you know. Um, it, it's it's yeah, it's such it's powerful, a hard, isn't it? Yeah, because there aren't that many words that are that powerful no anymore. no it's it's very it's percussive and yeah. it's got a great yeah. ending and you um, get i an- love the middle bit <laughs> the i way. love the cut i love the ah uh, i love the unt. it's got I'm, everything uh, yeah no i'm not i don't want this whole interview to be about that but no. getting a net crosby in the first scene oh yeah from the legend from um, one foot in the grave to say it that was particularly spoiler alert. i mean it's in literally uh, the first nas- scene uh, our national treasure yeah um i think she's 80 six in real life 87 and uh, she's playing a hundred year woman and um yeah i think she uses it five times doesn't she i think so yeah yeah yeah, yeah mostly um, her in that first and scene she, yeah. and she she had a whale of a time <laughs> I was she, gonna asked, ask. she loved it do you do you, when you're cast i mean clearly you're, you're casting a lot of people who've been in classic sitcoms you know penelope wilton's yeah. etc from from uh, every decreasing circle there's a lovely little in joke there for those fans with uh, her and peter egan but you've been peter egan back exactly it's like a it's like a proper every decreasing circles reunion yeah 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 that's that very exciting that is brilliant I, I mean that is a legendary show i I, lo- I remember um 
uh, thinking it was like, oh, my f- oh, I love that show. So underrated. Then I found out it used to get 16 million. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's a huge phenomenon. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. 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 But you, 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 I remember thinking the same about Spinal Tap when I saw it. I thought, oh, no one's going to love this as much as me. <laughs> oh, everyone loves it. Yeah. Of course yeah. they do. Yeah. So, uh, no, but I, it was a long time ago, um, Ever Degrees and Circles. And I, I, I loved that show because it, was, it wasn't just about the the comedy and the jokes it was about the the relationships and it, it it sort of taught me a lot as a as a writer really that the the relationships can be enough just just seeing those five people sit there in the pub yeah. is it's lovely yeah, it's just lovely to watch yeah. it's yeah. a it's a and and, I, and um I, I i learned a lot from um the characterization as well because like, martin bryce uh he had the perfect life until paul moved in next door right and then it was just a beautiful fiction i remember yeah. a, an early um uh, screenwriting uh, um, adage was uh, the cats out on the mat boring the cats out on the dog's mat now we've got a story that's brilliant so brilliant, and yeah. it starts there you see his perfect yeah, life yeah. with his perfect wife and, and his perfect friends and then yeah. this per- this this guy moves in next door who's good at everything yeah played by when Richard Bryant played played Martin who was yeah. fantastic yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, abs- yeah that was like one of my favorite shows growing up watching that and you can see the influence I think on Afterlife and also with Annette Crosby as well so my question with back to Annette Crosby was when you when you th- you know you must think oh this would be perfect for her yeah do you think do you send her the script and go by the way you have to say the word cunt a lot in the first yeah, few I minutes mean, you, you <laughs> ask her if, if uh, she'd be interested in being in it and when she says yes I'll send her the script and uh, um, we haven't got a no We've, uh, you mm. know, it, it's, it was yes. Uh, I mean, the casting, um, full stop for this, I'd cast all the main characters before I'd written it. Um, like, so usually uh, when you start out, you write something, you send it off, you get it commissioned. If you're lucky enough to be allowed to direct it, as you know, um, then you, you have to get the casting process and you know no one like with the office I knew no one I knew a couple of people that I tried out and, um, but you're trying to get what's in your head right you, you want to find that perfect person whereas now I've been around for 20 years when I think of a character I know the perfect person you know yeah. so I'd cast all these people they were waiting for me to write the script now um, so it was a joy because you know what they're good at you know their physicality you know you know you mm. put everything into it and it makes it so real because um, it's interesting I think for series one we should say um, it was an ensemble piece definitely but yeah. I think the focus was on Tony and yes. it felt like a I think you have to introduce what it's about yeah, first right. you know for the first three hours which yeah. is, you know um, and that arc of him being in a state of deep grief and depression to some extent and kind of coming out of it at the end felt I mean you could that could have been a self-contained yeah. three hour thing you could have stopped it there couldn't you in theory well, I, did, I, did, I did make sure it was self-contained in case I'd got run over by a bus or no one liked it or no. Netflix said no you're having a laugh no well, the money you got no one saw it um, but uh, it went well I wanted to do a second series um, they commissioned it I think after they'd watched it before it went out which was very flattering um, and uh, I think the same about series three I think this this could be the first time I do a series three of something because I've fallen in love with the characters I've fallen in love with the world it's never ending you know any, any one of those characters could be a spin-off yes, and you follow their story yeah. and you, you've got three hours on any one of them um, but again I want it to be uh, a, 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 you know a demanded encore I don't want to just do it. Mm. Whether it, you know, I want it to go down well. I want Netflix to be excited, mm. and uh, um, and uh, I'd certainly do a a third. Yeah, um, 
but yeah, it was a it was an ensemble piece. But yeah, the main character was walking from scene to scene, really. Also, practically, that's difficult mm. because once you get in the edit, um, there's no way you can go to. So some scenes have to be really cut short. You can't cut them up with meanwhile, whereas in this one you could. Uh, characters interact. Yes. There's scenes with without me in it. Yeah. You know. Um. So it makes it for a better edit as well and easier to watch. Right. Right. You're following one person is is can be. You're looking at your watch. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sometimes. Yeah. Even yeah. at 25 minutes, it better be amazing. <laughs> right. Um. But uh, uh, th- this is uh, much more of an ensemble piece, and you realise that. I mean, even the town is a character. The dog is a character. Yeah, oh, definitely. The music. Uh, the music's is a phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, and again, that is is luck, really, because um, you you always have these big ideas of great tunes to use, and then someone says, "Oh, that's um, seventy five grand for a minute," and you go, "We can't afford that." Because usually the music budget is what's left over. Right. Whereas this, because of the, because of the nature of Netflix, um, I, I knew the music budget and I could I I got all those songs cleared before I did the oh, show. Right. I was going to ask whether you have them in mind when you're writing yeah. those scenes. Oh, yeah. that's amazing. In yeah. fact, sometimes the song comes first. Wow. I'll be running around with my iPod on. Yeah. I hear a song and that would give me an idea. Oh, incredible for a, a thing right. or a montage or a memory or yeah. a, you you know and then and then also you can work the montage to it so you haven't just cut up a thing and put a song over it mm. um th- things matter yeah. the, the mood, lyrics matter there's a scene there's a david bowie scene oh. isn't there which that song beautiful I mean, song uh, yeah. it's it's an incredible song I've, yeah. I've i've loved it for years and years and putting it together with such a poignant memory it's it's heartbreaking yeah. you know and uh that's one of the joys of this you've you've written it you've cast it you've filmed it you've edited it and now I can use a David Bowie tune oh my god yeah. what a lucky boy do you <laughs> know what I mean yeah, it, it's incredible, incredible. Yeah. 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 yeah I think isn't the last the last thing Sifton Stevens I'm sure uh, that, yeah. yes did you always have that in mind I think for, uh, right, for, no I, okay. I, 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 um, I actually uh, uh, the, I had a different song for the ending and it didn't quite work um, and then uh, I tried that and uh uh, Carrie and Lowell is one of my it's amazing yeah. Yeah. it's yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, probably I don't know how popular it was or how much it sold but um, uh, I, I I play that once a week it's, it's yeah I think it was like Enemies album of the year and oh, it, was, it was definitely like hugely well right. received yeah, uh, classic, hate, yeah. It, yeah it was brilliant every song is a corker yeah and there's yeah. A, a the music you pick like Sufjan Stevens the Bowie song you pick um, they are there is a melancholy tone which fits is that what fits the whole kind of mood yeah, of the piece? Yeah, it's got to fit the mood. It's yeah. got, everything's got to fit. Um, because mood's very important. Um, it's not usually. In a usual sitcom, mood isn't important. No. It's the jokes and the characters and the and the, a bit of plot. Um, but um, this 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 feels more like a drama. I think it's because the last five years, I haven't watched a sitcom. I've watched Scandi Noir. I've watched European dramas on Netflix and Walter Presents and... You know, and there's there's much more about mood. Mm. There's breather moments. There's there's things that there's the weather becomes important. No landscape, mm. um, silence, things that, that you 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 don't use in sitcom. Right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I've I've uh, I've used everything there is. You know, um, I've kept the half hour format because I think I think it's um 
it's, you can be a bit self-indulgent. It's, a, it's very presumptuous to expect someone to watch an hour of comedy. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so I still, I still give them that. Uh, 26 minutes is pretty perfect. Yeah, it's like having a two and a half hour comedy film, isn't it? That's just I, too long. I, again, for I don't know. Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel that is. I feel is arrogant. Yeah, completely. Of the yeah. director. Which, yeah. what, what do you mean I'm going to watch two and a half? Yeah, that's that's the series. Yes, that's Afterlife. Yes, series one. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah. And they've got the choice. Right, they can watch another one. Of course, if they want an hour. Of course. Um, but again, you want you want that you want a demanded encore. You don't yeah. want to just. Uh, um, but the but the um. The look, the pacing, the cinematography—it's—it's—it's uh, it, it's all very—it's more dramatic than um, than sitcom. Uh, and then the sitcom moments, uh, the ensemble piece, the people around a—you know—the situation bit. Yeah. There's lots of situations. Yes. Yeah. There's uh, there's um, uh, the office. There's the park bench. There's a uh, there's a psychiatrist. There's lots of sit. Right. Absolutely. In yeah. the com. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, each episode feels like structured around those, isn't it? That you go back yeah, to those yeah. places and, and those it, it, it almost because it's it skips along. It all it almost skips along like a like a sketch show. Mm. Like always oh, going to the graveyard. Yeah, always walking the dog. Yeah, always bumping into someone. You know, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, it is a it is a condensed day in the life. And that's the other thing. I tried to make it each one a day in the life of. I like that sort of palindromic. He wakes up. He's watching a. A video he goes to bed drunk thinking of her mm. because what i am um, what i also realized um after halfway through series two is that um this is a love story it's a love story mm. i remember um what was the tagline for et the greatest love story ever told between a boy and his alien yeah well i think this is the greatest love story ever told between a man and his dead wife yes you know yes <laughs> there's more than one love story it's multiple love stories isn't it as well i think yes. especially series two yeah uh, it's um it's certainly there's certainly a lot about coupling it's very existential um i you know everyone needs everyone needs someone yeah and yeah. that can be uh, platonic it can be a dog you right. know, the dog's yeah. a, a, a very important character. That dog, metaphorically and literally, <laughs> saves his life. Yeah. The, I was going to ask about the dog. There's a brilliant scene, no spoilers, but where the dog's with you on your bed and the, his paw, he paws your arm. Now, how do you get, how does that work? <laughs> well, there's loads of ways to, to, to do things without giving away the magic. Um, uh, but his, uh, his owner, Ash, will, will, will either know one or will work it out. Right. Um, uh, but he can make there can be a command put your paw right, out right, um, right. and sometimes making him look like he's looking at you yeah. there might be a man with a bit of sausage <laughs> on a stick behind me yeah, I'm getting you to ruin the magic I feel bad already <laughs> I feel bad already there's <laughs> those poignant moments with a dog the idea of a guy with but a sausage if a dog if a dog looks like he's beaten me to a grave and he yes. sits on the grave and looks at the gravestone that, that's beautiful. That's yeah. lovely isn't Absolutely, it um, yeah. which is also real dogs do do that yes, dogs yes, mourn and they yeah. know they're um, obviously, the, the cadaver dogs—they can not only smell a body, they can smell it underwater. Incredible! Yeah, it's incredible. Inc yeah. They're incredible. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it does. It's not surreal. No, no, no. It's not a lassie movie. No, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's CGI. What? Timmy's down the yeah. well. You know, yeah. it's still a dog being a normal dog. Of course, of course. Um, but um, and dogs do show affection. You know, dogs can tell your mood. They know when you're upset. It's incredible, isn't it? And yeah. they come over to you and they sort of put their they. Um, so it is about there is a uh, there's a nice lovely bit about um, that symbiotic yeah. um, uh, dependence yeah, yeah. on each other. 
I remember after, um, when we spoke about series one and I said, um, I asked you whether you wanted to write about grief and about, you know, yeah. and I think you said, not necessarily, you weren't thinking of it no, as an issue because you had, and you had, you felt personally, it wasn't something you felt, oh, I'm going to address it. But I agree. series two feels different. Like well, you really are grasping I know I this. Am because of the audience reaction. Okay. I've never had a reaction like this. Nothing I've ever done. Um, I, I, you get the odd letter, but my agent got 300 letters after this show went out, yeah. which is incredible, yeah. which is also a reflection of how many people watch it on Netflix. I know that. It's yeah. that it's, because that's not emails. That's people writing that's letters. That's writing. Yeah, which that, no one that's does. Rare, that's rare. Now, yeah. that. And it was them telling their story. It was right. there telling how it helped it. And, that, and that's amazing. And I still get 100... A hundred tweets an hour. I, I look down and there's yeah. people have because they're watching it all around the world all the time. Yeah. And um, uh, a typical one is late to the party, but I've just watched. I've just been watched. Uh, and um, I am Tony. I lost my brother, or I lost my wife, or I lost my. Um, and I think it's because they've never had the chance to say that's me. You yeah. know. Yeah. And everyone's, and I realised that everyone's grieving. Yeah. The other thing that came out of it, so I sort of addressed that, and yes, I, I do, made yeah. it about that, and I realised. Sometimes you do things intuitively and you take the credit for them. Um, uh, and, and, and that's certainly one of them. But um, uh, I did sort of realise that he's going through seven stages of grief. Uh, we hit the ground running with um, in series one where uh, he's got um, shock, denial, anger. Yeah, That's where he hit. Yeah. Now he's going through bargaining. Mm. He's going through bargaining with the world. What can I do? to make myself feel better. Because that's all we're trying to do all the time. Whether we know it or not, whether we're going around the houses, whether we admit it, all we're trying to do is feel okay in our own body. All we're trying to do is be happy. Mm. And some people clutch at straws. They don't know what to do. So all he wants to do is be happy. That's all he's trying to mm. do. And there's a, there's a uh, without spoilers, there's a scene in, um, in the graveyard in it, four I think it is, where he's having a bad day and he's he's drinking, and um, uh, he he basically says, "This is me all the time." People think I'm sort of getting mm. better and I'm coping, um, but I remember what it was to be normal, so I do an impression of that. And I think I think that's so true. Yeah. Whenever no, we keep it to ourselves, we yeah. go we we might have a really bad day and we're going, "Am, am I acting normal?" Am I, are you fine? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, fine. And I think everyone does that. They don't want to be a bore. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to burden anyone. They don't want to admit it. They mm. don't want to, they just, oh, just if I'm acting normal, I am normal. Um, and it's great that people talk about those things even more. You know, one in four people uh, have, have, have been touched by mental illness. You know, that's, that, I mean, that's incredible. And that's, and everyone has been touched by grief. Mm. Everyone's got a bit of anxiety. Everyone goes through these things. Am I acting normal? Mm. You know, and I think people see this on screen, sort of quite undiluted for a TV show, and yeah. go, "That that's it. That's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly how I feel." But it's, I thought it was really quite bold to go because in series one, it's intrinsically funny, isn't it, to have a character who is lashing out of the world yeah. and is going to call everyone a cunt. Right. And that's, and right, that's yeah. there's something funny about that. Whereas yes. in season two, he's much more, he is helping others. I mean, he, he's yeah. the one who goes to various characters, again, without spoiling it, do you want to have a tea and you know talk yeah. stuff through? Because he's he wants to pay back. Right. He realises that 
the people who he lashed out were the people who are trying to help him yeah. in a way. He still wants to be an arsehole, but yeah. he wants to use his superpower for good. But it's harder to make to, to make it funny, isn't it? But I still th- it is still really, really sort funny. Of, but he gets it wrong. Because you've hit on... Right, there, there, were, there were... When I first started writing it, mm. series, I, thought, I thought, how are people going to be able to suddenly laugh at this after they've just seen a man nearly kill himself? Or, or there's a, there's a, a, a woman who knows she's dying and she did die and she's in chemotherapy and she did how can they suddenly laugh at this bit but people do because that's what real life is that's exactly what we do yeah. it's ups and downs all the time of course yeah. you're having a laugh then you find a lump and that we deal with that um uh so i i realized that the comedy comes from two places one you hit the nail on the head the comedy comes from us living vicariously through his candor we're laughing because we're going, I wish I'd have said that. Yeah. I nearly said that once. Oh, I, I didn't say it. You know, yeah. that, that's yeah. so funny. Look at the look on that bloke's face. Exactly. So we're laughing at that, right? We're also laughing, which is the staple of sitcom. We're laughing at a man who's trying to do something he's not equipped to do. Mm. And everyone we've ever laughed at in sitcom is that, from Captain Mannering to David Brent, right? Yeah. This one, all he's trying to do is be uh, well, right? He's trying to, in series one, he tries to make himself a psychopath so he doesn't feel hurt anymore. And he can't do it because mm. he's burdened with conscience. So we're laughing at that as well, that he can't, oh, here he's trying to be a nice person, he's trying to be zen, but someone fucking winds <laughs> him up, right? Yes. So so, yes. so it's, still, it's still actually using those staples right. of a particularly British sitcom, um, where it's a guy, okay, I'll try this. Someone fucking wound me up. Yeah. <laughs> it, it goes to the yoga class. Let's talk, it, it, there's a yoga well, class yeah. scene so, where so, the guy does everything. And I know this is autobiographical because it's, you it's, have no... It's absolutely... Yeah, it. you cannot stand people making noises and so this. He, so he's trying to be more... He just sort of does it as a favour to his brother-in-law to go to this yoga class. He's trying to be more zen. And, uh, right, and of course, the yoga teacher's annoying. So he's doing that one. He's slurping his fucking herbal tea. He's ringing his bell tree. He's saying stupid things like "Look out your third eye," and and uh, and then he says, "If you if you ever been hurt in your life, you brought it on yourself." And, it, and soon, Tony just bursts, you know. And in a place that's meant to be relaxing yeah. and be zen, someone fucking wound him up. And that's another staple, right? Yes. The wrong person for the job. Why does that person think that he can do that job? Why does the psychiatrist think he can help people when he's the biggest narcissist? He's the angriest man on the planet. He's the least appropriate <laughs> psychiatrist ever in history. But at Paul Kay is phenomenal, Amazing. isn't he? Absolutely. I, I think I, if there was a cup for <laughs> most perfect performance, yeah. oh. it'd be out of him and Penelope Wilton, yeah. I think, for just Incredible. every... Yeah. No, there's not a... There's not a facial expression or a murmur or a word yeah. that's spare. It's just... Brilliant. It's perfect, isn't it? Yeah, I quite want to hear the podcast of him, Ratty and the Nonce, are going to do. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> yeah, Ratty and the Nonce. Right, that's the... Um, so so when you you do this, you, you write it for a year and film it, and then you edit it down. Then then a couple of days before the end of the edit, you go, oh, we better look at the outtakes, people want outtakes. Yeah. It was about an hour. 20 minutes was Ratty and the Nonce. So we should say, these are Paul Case character's friends, they're Ratty mates, and the Nonce. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they're lads. Lads, it's proper lads. He goes out on the lash every night, yeah. and I don't want to spoil it, but they're awful. Yeah. It's this three of the worst men to bump into in a pub, yeah. if, if you vaguely know them, yes. right? 
So that is 20 minutes of them saying stuff, right? and me and uh, um, Tom Bus are not being able to deal with it. And the other 20 minutes is David Earl and uh, Ethan eating cake. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> incredible. Uh, outtakes like I've never, like yeah. I've never seen before. I no. thought Derek outtakes were a mad, but that this, these are yeah, some yeah. special ones. Yeah, yeah. You do can't. I mean, pretty much everyone in it. You know, Rasheen Connerty, um, Diane Morgan, all these people are comedians, aren't they? I mean, I'll, yeah. Now that was really important, okay, because um, uh, some comedians can't uh you know uh they haven't got some acting chops that's true but what's worse when you want to go when you want to do both is trying to find a straight actor who thinks they can do comedy that's the worst way round right um but actually i found uh comedians who are really good actors as well and they don't there's no there's there's no there's no fails yeah oh they're in brilliant, this. yeah yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. They've they've got they've got both. Yeah, I thought this because you made you have made like Rasheen Connolly's part is much bigger. I think this time yeah. she's practically living with you. Yeah, uh, I love yeah. and her scenes with you and her. I, I I love. They just feel so kind of real and unforced. There's an unforced quality to the whole thing. Is it yeah. quite difficult in a way, weirdly, to make an uh, that to to write that if you like to make it? Un For example, Peter Egan's character, the, who's the owner of the paper, yeah, in another version of this show, in a broader version, he could be a complete bastard, couldn't That's he? That's right. And you almost expect him to be. Yeah. He's the capitalist owner. He's going to shut, could shut yeah. down the paper. But actually, he's a nice, he's kind of a nice, decent guy. Yeah. And kind of everyone's nice and decent when it comes down to it, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, I think so. I think Is I, that I, I'm still an optimist. Right. And uh, I, I don't like, you're allowed to do caricatures, but not a caricatures of uh, um, the same as every other caricature. <laughs> sure. You know, you can flip it a little bit because yeah. people are complex, right? And also, um, this this thing about people staying in character um, is fine. It's a good rule of thumb for drama and comedy. But real people don't stay in character. Oh, of course, yeah. Real people do things they shouldn't do. They yeah. didn't do. They might be mentally ill, or they might be drunk, or they might they might have had a lapse, or that might not be the real them you thought was the. And yeah. this is the real them. You know, it's complex. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, uh, and Tony, you could say often acts out of character. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. no, that is his character. Uh, so, no, it was easy to write, really, because they could do anything. As, as long as you... I think cliches spoil things more than anything. Yeah, absolutely. Because people are already there. The fact that you thought he was going to be an arsehole when he mm. wasn't, that's really gratifying. People like being fooled. Oh, completely, yeah. People like being yeah. surprised. Yeah. If you go, oh, it's going to end up, da 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 Oh, there it is. You go, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. And you yeah. feel you feel disappointed. Mm. I mean, there is a pleasure in formula, isn't there? But yeah, you're right. Have being surprised and not going down the formulate route is yeah. so much more pleasurable. I mean, you don't have to be mad. It doesn't yeah. have to be absolutely out of this world to be slightly different. It's just that people are, you know, just like making a joke when you're when you're, you know, frightened or depressed or yeah, exactly. You know, it's like oh, that's that's different. Mm. And, but it's. It's only different for TV. Yeah. It's not different for real life. Yeah. Everything happens in real life. Everything under the sun happens in real life. Just like people think that, um, oh, well, you look at that show, and you think, oh, it's a bag of freaks with Brian Gittins and, Joe, uh, and me. And uh, But no, you're only saying it's a bag of freaks compared to the actors in ER. Yes. You go out into the real world, 
most people look like Brian Gittins <laughs> and me. Yeah. And ja- they don't look like George 100%. Clooney. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. like... Which I think fascinates you, doesn't it? I think that the yeah. people, funny looking people, we're people yeah. with real faces. Real faces. Like. Yeah. Real faces. Yeah. 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 We are the norm. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, when I was on set, um, I watched you do a scene where you cry with um, Mandip Dillon in the office. Right. And it's, it's the two of you. And, and I was amazed because you were laughing, you were messing around yeah. one minute with the cast and you were joking and blah, blah, blah. And then yeah. literally in the blink of an eye, you were crying proper tears. Now, is that just something that you naturally can do? Have you uh, always been if, able to do or is it? Uh, yes, right. if if the scene is good enough. Okay, All right. What you couldn't do is cry at shite. Yeah. I, couldn't, I can't just cry now. Right. But if I think this feels real, if I feel this feels real and I mean it, yeah. I can cry once. Right, you yeah, you only did one take, I think. Yeah, yeah you yeah. do, yeah, because yeah. then it's that's even harder. Right. Because you feel better. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and of course, people say, um, are, you, are you really crying or acting? And I go, well, they're not mutually exclusive. I'm doing both. <laughs> yeah, of course. I'm acting and I'm really crying. Yeah. I'm yeah. physically crying. Yeah. Yeah, of course I am. Yeah, of course. Um, uh, but then people are surprised when I'm going and I'm crying. I go, okay, cut. Okay, now um, uh, they think that, oh, well, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So it is acting, but uh, if, if, if you feel it, it you, you, their tears come. Yeah. yeah, of course. Has your writing process changed from, from all the way back, you know, to the office, etc.? Because you were talking about how you've got your cast and then you're writing for them. So is that a different process slightly? And do you also, do you have your set script and then you let them, and then you do scenes where they get to play around with it a bit? Do you do it yeah, that way? Um, uh, it hasn't really changed. You sort of, you, you, uh, you, you have an idea, uh, you, you write it down. Um, uh, some things are absolutely have to be, to the word like a joke yeah. some things have to be a mood some things can be an ad lib around a make it real yeah. um uh as the as the percentage changes as the um uh i don't know i'm um uh i'm a lot more i guess the more confident i am in the actors the easier it is the more fun it is right. and uh i I'd, what's changed is I, I, I'm, I don't have to be lumbered with, a, a, you know what I mean? I don't mm. have to do that. Although I don't think I ever did really. Um, it's always been a, um, a luxurious process where you know, I write it and choose who, who's in it with me and then I'm in the edit as well. So um, uh, I don't I don't think it's changed other than I do more things at once than I used to. Right. Right. Um, I, you know, I've got three paintings on the go, so yeah. to speak, yeah. because I think it's it's hard. I'm not one of these writers who's, who's, who has a six hour day. Um, I I I go from I go bursts of twenty minutes and that. Like as I say, a song could give me an idea. Um, I could have an idea. I could remember something and I I I jot it down, and then I don't really start structuring it until I've got a big bag of observations mm. and I know where the store is going um, that the, you know the typing it up into a screenplay is the boring bit yeah I bet yeah. you know yeah. um, writing's hard rewriting's fun mm. oh okay that's yeah. you know yeah, yeah, once yeah. you've got once you've got 30 pages in your hand that's that's a joy it can only get better yeah um, so you're saying your um, technique has changed a bit in terms of the well writing. I'll tell you what's changed the big change from beginnings to now is 
uh, <coughs> early days and new writers, they have to think, will this get commissioned? Yeah. And they have to go, oh, and then when it's commissioned, oh, oh, will they let that stay in? Oh, will they stick that on at 10 o'clock instead of 8 o'clock? Oh, will there be a backlash to that? Uh, now, I don't have half those worries and I don't care about the other half anymore. Hmm. What's great is if I come up with an idea, I know I can do it. I know it can get on and I know and I don't care. Yeah, and that I freedom. Don't care. Is, yeah, it's it's, it's yeah. the it's the purest freedom and, and a lot of it is down to age and attitude and uh, um, uh, I think that this militant <laughs> feeling that uh, look, you can fucking watch it or not. If you don't like it, fucking turn it off. <laughs> yeah. Right? And half of it is down to the fact that uh, Netflix don't interfere and um, it is a subscription service, so you don't have to yeah. watch it. It's not the same as it being beamed into your... Yeah. And getting people getting offended. It's like, don't watch it then. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't buy it's it. Don't, don't, you know? yeah. um, uh, but it's certainly... Uh, I mean, Netflix came along like it was made for me. Mm. Mm. Um, because, you know, I've always sort of got... Amazingly, I've always demanded and got final edit for, for what it's worth. Uh, but with that came a compromise. Um, you had to go to channels that let you have it. Mm. And, the, and of course, uh, they weren't the biggest channels. So I chose Channel 4 instead of ITV, BBC 2 instead of BBC 1, HBO instead of NBC. But Netflix come along and they go, well, we don't interfere. And more people are watching it than any of those things. And you, and you go, okay, brilliant. That's <laughs> that amazing. It, yeah. You know, yeah. it, it's... It's like the perfect. Yeah. It's the perfect business model, and and uh, it's got it's got the most artistic freedom. Mm. Yeah. Are you tempted? You talk about all those those, those things you watch, those subtitled um, yeah. foreign language, a lot of the crime dramas and things like yeah, that. Yeah. So, would you be tempted to try and do one of those? Yourself? I don't know. No. I don't know. It's a lot of. It's uh It's great. It's great to watch, but it's harder to do. Mm. It's less fun. There's a lot of. There's a lot of procedure there. Um, I want to enjoy every moment of it as well, right. as well as the audience enjoy it. And as great as those things are, I, I, I don't think I'd enjoy um, shooting six months at night in <laughs> Finland, no. watching the policewoman chase a serial killer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. enjoy the process no, of I making see. that. Yeah. Um, You've got the look for it. I mean, you could be in, in, in the Gamoro gangs in Italy. Really? Yeah, definitely. You know, you could be one of those. You mean I look like I eat pasta? <laughs> a little bit, but also, and that you're capable of killing people. In, you know. Oh, I like the that. idea of that. Yeah. I like the idea of um, playing a twisted character, but um, I like it all to be, uh, I know where I am with this. Yeah. And also, I've sort of got the best of both worlds where I've snuck an awful lot of, in my time, I've snuck an awful lot of drama and philosophy and contentious taboo issues into a 30-minute sitcom. Yeah, that's true, yeah. yeah. So I've got no complaints, I, I you know? Mm. Um, mm. But never say never. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I, you know, I'd, uh, uh, it's, all, it's all percentage. I think they're the same... They're, they're, they're branches of the same tree. Um, I mean, what is comedy and what is drama? Uh, I think the uh, I think the traditional distinction was um, a comedy ends in a wedding, a tragedy ends in a funeral. You know mm. that was mm. that was it really. Yeah. Um, and I just I mix them all up. 
I mix them all up in different proportions. You know, even within a show, there are some episodes in this that seem to be, oh my God, when's when's this going to end? Um, and then others that are just frivolous and mental, you know, with a, like the Amdram. Yeah, I was going to mention the Amdram, which is a big el- new element, of, yeah. of the, which is like a brilliantly funny um, look into that world. I, you are fascinated by the world. of like am- amateurs trying yeah, to perform. I was going to do, I was going to do a whole thing about it and then, you know, I, I, can't, I can't remember when in my career that, that was going to be. But, um, so I snuck that in. I am fascinated by it. But it's also, it's another... It's another news story, really. Yeah. You know, if if there was an amateur dramatic site with someone like Ken Otley, that local paper would cover it. Yeah. He'd demand yeah. it. And again, he wants to be famous, which is another theme that I've always been yes. fascinated with. Yes. Um, and it's a sort of digression, diversion, but it's another... That could be a spin-off. Mm, yeah, 100%. Ken Otley and that yeah. Amdram could yeah. be a could be a yeah. sitcom. Ken Otley is the he's the head of he's running the Amdram yeah, group. Who's a, who's a local, never really sort of made it. Um, uh, he, he thinks he's an entrepreneur. He thinks he's a he's a writer, a director, uh, local talent agent, larger than life. Yes, right. Um, and uh, 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 of course, it's a it's an absolute shambles. But again, I celebrate that sort of that. That freakery. Mm. I celebrate these ordinary people having it. Do you know what I mean? I genuinely, it's an affectionate, it's a, oh, everything's yeah, yeah, an yeah. affectionate look at these things that fast. I love them. Yeah. If that was, honestly, if 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 we walked, me and Jane walked past and it said Amdram tonight and we were in a little village, we go, we're going, <laughs> we're going, we love it. We went into Butlins once because wow. we could get in and uh, saw David Copperfield, not the magician. That's why he was introduced. And it was amazing. <laughs> That's great. I love to be a fly on the wall watching you at Butlins, watching David Copperfield, not the magician. Before I was famous. Right, okay. No, no one was looking at me. Yeah. Um, well, they yeah. probably were because I had a ponytail. But um, <laughs> yeah, we were we were in our 20s and we, we ironically went along and uh, snuck into Butlins and we couldn't believe our luck when he said, now for tonight's entertainment, please welcome to the stage, David Copperfield, not the magician. <laughs> And he came out and did jokes and yeah, it was- <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> Finally, we we need to wrap up. Would you? You said you would do a third series. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so is the, you could, and, and as you also said, it could go on longer. I mean, if, yeah. would you be content? I, I think. Okay. I think. I think I want to do a third series, which is the first time ever. I think that should be it, because I mean, it, it's it's a lot of work, um, but I love I love this world more than any other world I've created. I think. Um, and there's so many places to go. As I say, there's I I think there's there's five or six sitcoms. Well, I was going to say you could do a spin-off. I Would could you? Do. I'd like to see one with Diane Morgan's character. I'd like to see one yeah. with Rishi Collins' character. All of these people. I want to see their sitcoms. Yeah, tempting. I Why well, I, 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 could someone else write it and I just take the money? Like yeah, the American it could office. be the Gervais universe. It could be the the, the you know afterlife universe or whatever it is. Yeah, know. like Happy Days. Yeah. they had about the, right three or four. Yeah, Mork and Mindy. I think. Yeah, isn't it? yeah, yeah. Oh, that was Mork and Mindy. Yeah, yeah. Laverne and Shirley. Yeah. Is that there? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Good as gold. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, anyone out there wants to take one of these people, give them a lot of money, and give them their own sitcom, just give me uh ten uh, percent. <laughs> You've said it now. <laughs> Ricky Gervais, thank you so much. Thank Cheers. you. Cheers. Thank you. <laughs> and that finally is it from this week's show. Just a quick reminder that we are receptive of all your stars on Apple Podcasts, if you'd be so kind as to leave them, as well as a few choice words, perhaps. Uh, we're also on social media, along with the youthful pictures of our former selves, at James C. Dyer, at Boyd Hilton, and at Terry underscore White. We will be back next week with the very first pilot in a long time that won't feature the words... Battlestar 
or Galactica. And for that, I can only apologize. But, you know, if you feel the urge, why not head out, pick up that box set and have a watch through for yourself. So say we all. Pilot out. <laughs>